Thank you, Simon. Good morning. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. It's a bit grim outside. I, I, it was quite unpleasant driving in. The last few days, it's been great driving in because it's been sunshine and, and cloud, the clouds have all been kind of a beautiful sort of pinky-purple colour. This morning, it is miserable out there. Lots on the show this morning. We'll be talking uh, about the Olympic slalom competition. Uh, also, a little bit about the gymnasts who got bronze. Did you see that? I missed it. The first bit of huge controversy in the Olympics, and I missed it, where the Japanese complained and they went from fourth to second. Uh, Loads of other stuff as well. We'll have an update on the Jimmy Savile auction uh, from yesterday. Hey, I nearly stopped... Well, I did. I think I stopped a potential mugging last night. I got all brave and kind of... I didn't really do a lot, but I stood in, in between a man and a woman when I suspected the man was about to do something very, very naughty. Uh, so we'll talk about that later on. And loads of other stuff as well. You can call me, of course, anytime you want. 08459 455555. You can text 81333, start your text 3CR. And email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. See, there you go, you see. <laughs> it's too early in the morning for me. I was trying to be all smooth there and flash, and I completely muffed it up. What I was trying to do was this. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. It was, it was worth the wait. I think, I think maybe I should just throw all attempts at trying to be smooth and professional out of the window. Because it's not going to work, is it? 08459 455 555. Speak to you after Diana Ross. So, I'm really quite enjoying the Olympics. And I've said before, I'm a miserable, grumpy old cynic. And all kinds of sports and enforced jollity I get most grumpy about. And I'm, I'm not having any of this. But yesterday, I found myself watching... What were we watching yesterday? We had a little bit of the weightlifting, not much. Um, the water polo. And this is, this is going to make me sound like an idiot. I genuinely thought that there would be horses in the water polo. I did. I thought there would be horses and I thought there would be mallets. And I was really excited when I pressed the red button and watched the sports on the red button. Because you can just go through it and there are all these bizarre things. And I saw water polo. I was like, yes, horses in water. This is going to be awesome. It was nothing like that at all. It was just um, some people wearing very strange protective headgear, throwing balls at each other quite aggressively. It's a nasty sport. It's a nasty sport. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Now it was day two of the Olympic slalom competition at Hertfordshire's Lee Valley Whitewater Centre yesterday. Bedford's Etienne Stott, partnered by Tim Bailey in their two-man canoe, qualified for the semi-finals, finishing the day in fourth place and in good shape ahead of Thursday's finale. Our reporter Luke Ashmead spoke to the pair after their second run. Yeah, I mean, I guess with this stage of the competition, it's really just a massive relief to. Uh, Get, get your campaign off to start and you know not falter at the first hurdle but um, yeah it's really cool it was an amazing experience to race like that I think uh, just the crowd noise and support is incredible something beyond what we've ever experienced previously and perhaps likely to again really uh, does it spur you on I mean what's it like that that first moment uh, it was your debut today of course in the Olympic Games what was it like Etienne well I mean it was exciting but we were so we had a real uh careful preparation we had uh, anticipated quite a lot as to how, what it would be like and really the thing that doesn't change is what you're trying to do out there on the river you've just got to look where you're going try and get the boat where you want to go and that sh- that doesn't change no matter what race and we were really really serious about what we did today we were very determined and that's what pulled us through i think of course the first heat really set it up for you didn't it i mean that was important to set that time yeah i mean you'd always like to get a banker in straight away um Quite often we've been in the opposite situation, which does make the second run very, very exciting, which is uh, 
you know, it's it's the kind of excitement you don't mind missing out on too much today, though, because, uh, yeah, it's nice to know you're in and then you can give your second run a really good shot. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately, the second run didn't quite manage to improve, I don't think. But uh, we had some really good sections and it was pretty promising going forwards. You used the word relief. Is there, is there that feeling? I mean, your focus, you said your preparation was right, but there must be an enormous sense of relief that you're, you're in the semis. Yeah, there is, because in the days before a race, it takes a long time, you know. It's been like... I guess two weeks since the Olympics have really been here, since we've been wearing our Team GB kit. And it's just a case of just ticking those days down and trying to just keep cool. And, you know, it's difficult. It was stressful. We were worried. There were points when we weren't happy and not feeling good and all these things. But at the end of the day, you line up on that start line. You just got to look where you're going. And that's what we really focused on our process. And it was really good just to get it done and, and, and done it well as well. All the friends and family from Bedford supporting you, cheering you on. There's some here, but many back in Bedford, I'd imagine. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, we've not really looked around the crowd today, but we've heard we've got a lot of support. You know, the stand itself is awesome. And I know a lot of my friends and family are there watching us, and we've acquitted ourselves well and put a good show on for them. And, I, uh, yeah, I'm pleased. I'm stoked for them, and hopefully we can uh, keep it rolling. Just finally, do you get a chance to kind of enjoy the, the, the other... Uh, sports in the Olympic Games. Are you, are you keen watchers? Are you involved? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, I guess like probably most of the country, we watched the road race on Saturday and we're really disappointed for the Brits there, having given it them all. And uh, nice to make up for it in the women's one. And then we've been watching swimming in the evenings and that sort of thing. We've got, we're not actually in the village. We're in like a satellite village, just the canoe slalom team, which is nearer our venue. And um, we've got TVs on all the time with the Olympic footage. And uh, yeah, it's brilliant. Etienne, one final question. I saw you and I tweeted about you. The one person I saw at the opening ceremony screaming into the camera was Etienne Stott. Yeah, it was me. I've heard a lot about it. I've not actually watched a clip. Uh, I just looked like a bit of a demented madman, but it was just such a special thing, and I thought, why not? Let's just, let's just have it tonight. It was awesome. <laughs> well, there's a description you don't hear too often. I look like a demented madman. Uh, <laughs> fantastic stuff there. It's very, uh, I'm enjoying all of the different sorts. The first medals there of the Canoe Slalom event will be handed out today. GB's David Florence is looking to go one better than his silver medal in Beijing. Uh, Luke will bring you all the news throughout the day here on BBC Three Counties. I, I saw the young lad, well, the Daly, isn't it? is that his name? Tom Daly, who, um, the, uh, the diver. Did you see any of the synchronised diving yesterday? I only saw a little bit. I didn't see him and his partner. But it was amazing. It's two people diving but not just diving they're doing really brilliant diving stunts at the same time and we were talking about this before the show and and i i think the best sports are the ones where you go why why are they doing that what what's the point of that you imagine watching like one person diving and someone going yeah it's good but what it needs is someone doing exactly the same thing at exactly the same time uh but this this tom daly um uh, was getting abuse on twitter i don't like twitter i've gone right off twitter but he was getting some horrible comments from this little so-and-so on twitter saying yeah you failed you let your country and your dad down and his dad died like, like about a year ago i think maybe just over a year ago uh, and tom daly handled it with the dignity that uh, you know olympic winners do and i think it, it's all very nasty twitter it's a horrible place i've sort of i go back to it every now and then but it's just full of um bullies and, and strange people anyway oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number can you tell me some of the odd sports that you've been watching where you you kind of weren't expecting them to be any good but you thought i'm gonna have a little look at that anyway and suddenly two hours have passed and you've you've spent a couple of hours watching really odd things for me it was the water polo i had an argument with a man last night when i said it wasn't a sport let's go on yes it is 
It's prob- It's not really a proper sport, is it? You're just in a swimming pool throwing a ball around. I don't know if I'd qualify that uh, as a sport. 08459 455 555. Some of the weird and slightly odder sports you've been exposed to because of the Olympics. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Tuesday, July the 31st. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Hemel Hempstead teenager Max Whitlock has won an Olympic bronze medal in the team gymnastics. The 19-year-old helps Team G to a shock third place, the first team medal in the sport in 100 years. The family of a grandmother who died at the QE2 hospital in Welling Garden City after being denied food and water for a week are thought to be considering legal action. Joan Pataldi died in September 2009 after being admitted for a routine hip operation. In sport, Watford have confirmed seven new signings, including former Arsenal goalkeeper Manuel Amunia. I'm guessing that's how you pronounce his name. As you know, I don't know a lot about football. And QPR defender Fitz Hall. We'll have a full weather bulletin in a moment with Jim Bacon. And coming up, Hemel gymnast Max Whitlock will today wake up an Olympic bronze medalist. In the next few minutes, we'll hear from him and his other teammates. I was mentioning this yesterday. You don't get streakers anymore. We used to be the best at streaking, didn't we? Always like you get a football match and there'd be some naked bloke running along or Wimbledon, there'll be a, a, a lady bouncing about. You don't get it anymore. I miss the streaking. Can we get... To, uh, listen, obviously I shouldn't be abusing my position at the BBC to encourage, you know, something so naughty as that, but, you know, it would look good, wouldn't it? Uh, let's have a quick look at the front pages before we uh, get the latest weather. Uh, it, a lot of it is about the gymnasts uh, winning the bronze medal. The Daily Telegraph. Gymnasts on a roll. Oh, that's clever. First Olympic medal for 100 years as Team GB takes bronze. Controversy as recount lifts Japan into silver medal position. How could you go from fourth to second? I didn't see it, so I'm not in any way suggesting that there's foul play or anything like that. I'm sure it's all legitimate. But uh, how can you go... How could the, the judges be so wrong first time round to go, to go, oh, yeah, hang on a second, let's recount... Oh, no, maybe we should put them second instead of fourth. It seems a little bit odd. Uh, lots of pictures of the gymnasts. Look at this on The Guardian. Wow, there's a photograph. Uh, ups and downs. Christian Thomas competes on the horizontal bar yesterday. The British men's gymnastics team won an Olympic medal for the first time in more than 100 years. Oh, and there's uh, controversy with uh, the 16-year-old uh, lady swimmer from China. I think that's the technical term. They're a lady swimmer. China's record win in pool suspicious, says top coach. 16-year-old insists she follows anti-doping rules after 400-metre record swim. She fan- uh, swam faster than the guy that won the, the, the men race, the male race, which is, um, is interesting. The Times, fantastic photo uh, of uh, one of the gymnasts doing really well and um, doing the splits in midair. The Independent, everything but the gold, but Britain can't get enough of the Olympics. Um, public enthusiasm for London 2012 has surged in recent days and revealed the full cost of the cull of public libraries. More than 150 libraries have been closed or put into the hands of volunteers in the past year owing to government spending squeeze. Are there libraries being run by volunteers? That's, that's an, an odd way to go about doing it. Uh, the Daily Express. Oh, here we go. Married migrants benefit scandal. Okay, we've not had a, a, a married migrants benefit scandal story in the Express all week, so it's, it's, it's due one. We fork out bigger payments if husbands have several wives. Uh, the Daily Mirror. Um, Tom Twitter troll torment. Diving hero h- hits back over dad jive. This is after some idiot was, was being an idiot. He came fourth in the Olympics. Imagine coming fourth in the Olympics. You'd be gutted you didn't win a medal, but you go, yeah, I came fourth in the Olympics. What about it? It's like when all the cyclists, the, the, the men's cycling team, were, were getting um, stick. They had a spokesman on the day after they came 29th in the race. 
and they, I heard one of them on Five Live, and, and, and the, the kind of the guy in charge was getting stick. What he should have said was, yeah, but we won the Tour de France. Beat that. Don't care about medal, we won the Tour de France. Uh, the Sun wanted gold medal. Historic bronze for our brilliant gymnast. But please, can we have just one gold? Any sport, we're not bothered. Oh, there you go. Um, the Daily Mail, US attacks China over drugs, row supergirl swimmer. And it's asking a question that we kind of hinted at yesterday. A colossus. But has the time come for Macca to let it be? I like Paul McCartney, I like the Beatles, I like Wings. But um, maybe they've got a point. On FM, AM and online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio. Hemel Hempstead teenager Max Whitlock has won an Olympic bronze medal in the team gymnastics. The 19-year-old helped Team GB to a shock third place, the first team medal in the sport in 100 years. Whitlock was asked if the success had sunk in yet. You know what, it really hasn't. I don't think it was sinking for a long time. It's, I mean, we made history coming into the team final and to get a bronze medal. That is, is unbelievable for us all, so it's just incredible. It was first announced that the team had taken the silver, but just ten minutes later, the result was downgraded after Japan appealed against a pommel horse score. The BBC's commentary team said the drama shouldn't take away from the British achievement. What a shame, because we should be thrilled with a bronze medal and what a shame to have it won in that way really they looked back at the video they knew what they should have given it and they couldn't hide that was very brave a brave decision and it had to be fair and it was fair it had to be fair and it was fair one of whitlock's teammates christian thomas said he'd always dreamt of being presented with an olympic medal it's olympic medal at the end of the day i think it's what, what dreams are made of when I was younger, that's all I think about is winning an Olympic medal, and here I am right now standing with a bronze medal, silver. I know it would have been nice, but uh, no, I couldn't complain at all right now. See, that's the attitude to have. Silver would have been nice, but I can't complain. Fantastic. I don't like all this, oh, we need a gold, oh, they didn't get a gold. You won a bronze medal. The team won a bronze medal. The chairman of the British Olympic Association, Colin Moynihan, said it was a great achievement. I think it's a fantastic result for those guys. I mean, it's the first time in 100 years that we've won a medal. Um, in that discipline, and uh, you could see by their enthusiasm and, and the reaction of the crowd, that, that's great for gymnastics, great for the team. If you saw this, and you saw the um, their downgrading from silver to bronze, as the Japanese complained, could you let me know what happened? Because I missed it. And it's it's been one of the most, sort of, I guess, controversial things about this Olympics. Uh, well, the, I guess the Japanese were right to complain, but it seems odd that the initial judges' score could be so out that they go from fourth to second. If you saw it... Can you give me a call? 08459 455 555. Or you can text 81333, starting your text 3CR. Did you think uh, that it was sporting of the Japanese to complain? Or did you feel a little bit cheated that we had a silver medal and it got downgraded to a bronze? 08459 455 555. Eddie Cochran, three steps to heaven. I am being reliably informed that at some point during the Olympic torchbearing, there was a streaker. Listener, whether the policeman put his uh, helmet over the gentleman's um, parts, I do not know. But I'm, I'm hoping. I miss that. That's a proper traditional British image. They should have had that in the opening ceremony. They should have had a hundred streakers being chased by a hundred bobbies. That's what you want. Uh, yesterday we mentioned uh, Jimmy Savile's uh, stuff. Everything he owns is being sold off. Hang on a second. It's in the Daily Mail. I'm just seeing that literally everything was being sold off. This, we've got his bubble car that went for twenty-two thousand pounds. His Rolls Royce went for £130,000. That's fair enough. A box of washing powder went for £95. Jimmy Savile's box of bold 
Went for £95. Why would you do... Why? Why would you do that? We asked for your weird memorabilia yesterday. Uh, but that, that has got to be the oddest. A box of bowls that was once owned by Jimmy Savile. It's obviously old. Oh, there's a picture of him on there as well. It's old because it's 59 and a half pence. I miss the, the halfpennies. I miss a half pence. It just adds a little excitement to shopping. Uh, loads of stuff went. It's, it, it, it sold really well. £30,000 for a, a gold and diamond Rolex. You'd expect that. That kind of is probably the going rate, possibly bumped up uh, a little bit by the fact it was owned by Jimmy Savile. A charity bought a, sh- a sword and shield to decorate a Scottish retreat for £700. And uh, Stuart Levin uh, got Jimmy Savile's gold tracksuit for £550. Now, listen, I'm a fan of Jimmy Savile. He was bonkers, but wonderfully bonkers. And, you know, TV and radio was... A f- I used to love his radio show. He'd award points for... Ra- and I didn't understand it as a kid. Why is he giving points out? It didn't make any sense. But he was fantastic. But what, would you really want to spend that much money on a tracksuit that he wore? It seems odd. Really, we'll, we'll t- I'll have a look at this article about Paul McCartney as well in the Daily Mail, saying maybe it's time for him uh, to quit. What do you think? We talked about this a little bit uh, about his performance at the opening ceremony. I do love Paul McCartney, but has he? Uh, you know, is he a little bit too old to be doing all that kind of stuff? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five on FM, AM, and online at bbc.co.uk/slash Three Counties, BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, you. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio, here until nine o'clock. It's 6.35. There you go. Now, we were talking about the gymnastics yesterday, where Britain, uh, Team GB, we have to call us, uh, officially, it's Britain, isn't it, uh, won the first medal in the gymnastics for a hundred years. But there was controversy, because we won a second. See, I'm already saying we. I had literally no part to play in that, in that medal, but I'm kind of, you know, getting it by default. Uh, we, we won silver, and then the Japanese uh, had a little hissy fit, and they complained, and we got bumped down to bronze. Which is still brilliant, isn't it? But Joe in Letchworth has called in. Joe, you can explain what happened yesterday with the gymnastics, can you? I, I certainly can. I mean, I, it was, um, I was just about to go to bed, and I, I had my cup of tea, and I thought, I'll, I'll just sit and watch this bit. And um, I think I was watching the highlights, to be honest. Joe, never, and, Joe, um, Joe, Joe, never have a yes. cup of tea before you go to bed. You'll be up all night weeing. Oh, no, 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 it's all good. It's okay. caffeine-free. Okay. Good luck, <laughs> well done, OK. Um, so, basically, the guy, the Japanese fella on the on the pummel horse, he was doing his routine, and you've got to admit, Ian, OK, those guys are just amazing on the bars, on, on the rings, on the pummel horse, don't you think? I, well, I, I, you know, I didn't see it yesterday, but what I have seen of it is incredible. Of course it is, you know, just the, and, the strength and the skill involved is amazing. Yes, and basically the Japanese fellow, he was on the pummel horse and he was doing his thing where he swings his legs round and he lost a foot in. And, uh, sorry, lost, uh, lost a grip on his hand and yeah. then he, he sort of slipped off. But because um, he sort of, he finished his routine early, obviously he got knocked, knocked, knocked his points knocked down. Yeah. Now what, uh, the problem that then the judges had was that they obviously then took points off, but what they didn't account for which is why the Japanese team then said, you know, look, go back over the footage because that's not fair. He la- because he landed on his feet, he st- even though he fell off, he still landed on his feet. Right. And so they had to give him the points that they took off for that, you see. But, but he fell off, though, Joe. Surely, you, surely in, in a sport where you've got to stay on something, as you say, swinging your legs around, doing your bit, uh, you've got, falling off is a bad thing, isn't it? I know, and to be honest, I've... 
I looked at it, and when you see all the Japanese team, you know, uh, complain, you do think, oh, come on, guys, you know, look, this is, the Olympics should be the one sport in the world where you don't have to go back to the judges and complain. It's, it's almost like a, a child footballers, you know, moaning at the ref and yeah. throwing their arms around, that sort of thing. It's, um, but again, you know, that, that, the rules are the rules, and if they have to have those points put back on because of that, so be it. And I will say this in before I go. Please do. Um, do you know what? A medal is a medal. It doesn't matter what the colour is. I don't. I, yeah, I don't get all this. Oh, come on now. We didn't get a gold. Oh, the the the. Hey, bronze is fantastic, isn't it? Have you ever won a bronze in the Olympics? I certainly haven't. That still means, okay, that you're, you're third best in the world. Yep. That yep. is. <laughs> how many people on the planet? Five billion. We're still the third hey, best in the world. I a think, medal is a medal, my Joe, friend. Joe, I don't want to break. Give you the bad news. I think we're close to eight billion now. <laughs> There's another three billion since you last counted. Joe, have you been um, flicking around with the red button on uh, in front of the TV? Because I find I'm finding that dangerous because it opens up a whole world oh, of yes, bizarre yes, sports. The What's the oddest thing that you've you've been watching? Um, I don't know. It's it, I, I haven't really sort of gone into some some of the, re- the really odd stuff. I suppose I need to have a good look. But I mean, I, I like the clay shooting. We, t- we tend to be quite good at that in this country. Right. We're not, um, allowed, we're not allowed to watch the shooting in my house. My, my, wife's, well, my, my wife has drawn up a list of sports that she considers too <laughs> violent for my two-and-a-half-year-old. So gun, all the guns are out. The judo's out! I really want to watch the judo! I love a bit of judo! Not allowed to watch, watch that. It? No, Did not allowed to. Missed it. Not allowed to watch it. We've, we've compromised. We're allowed to watch archery. But that I had to fight for the archery, because she well, thought that was just, aggressive. It's just a pity that the public aren't allowed to watch the archery in the games. There we go. What, what do you mean the public aren't allowed to watch the archery? A non-ticketed event, as they described what? it, wasn't it? Uh, behind closed doors. Hang on a second, Joe. I think we've got a BBC Three Counties exclusive here. The, the public aren't allowed to go and watch the archery? On uh, a few days ago, um, they had the, the archery at Lords, and it, yeah. it was described as a non-ticketed event. Right. So you had a lot of people turn up thinking, oh, fantastic, I don't need a ticket, I can just turn up and watch. But basically, it was it wow. was being done behind closed doors, and wow. there was a lot of people sort of very disappointed with Suddenly it. Suddenly, I'm suspicious. I don't know if you've ever had a go on, um, what do they call those? Bow and arrows, I guess is the technical term. Uh, but th- that's that's a fun thing to do. I had a day doing that once, and it's really difficult. You think it'll be easy, but it's the, 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 the tension in that bow is quite a tough thing. Yeah, so it's, um, but again, it's, again, something that we used to be, you know, very, very good at, but it's, uh, uh, Robin Hood, isn't it? Joe, listen, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, um, uh, uh, anoint you my, uh, odd sports correspondent. Could you watch something a little bit weird for me today and give me a call tomorrow and let me know what it was? I certainly can. There and we go, Joe. Just before you go, Ian, yes. I'd love to say you are a breath of fresh air on, on the BBC, my friend. May, may, may God bless you for that. You'd love to say it, but unfortunately, he can't because he doesn't believe it. Joe, thank you very much. Speak to you tomorrow. By the way, the position I've given you, there is there is no financial reward. You're doing it just for the love of um, BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, an open-air Shakespeare Festival is celebrating its 63rd year by giving a particularly jubilimpic feel yeah, I just said the word jubilimpic to their production which starts today the annual festival held outside in the grounds of Pendley Manor Hotel in Tring will be performing Romeo and Juliet and Much Ado About Nothing my favourite Shakespeare play Much Ado About Nothing it's, it's the only one I, I understand uh, over the next couple of weeks but not in the style you might expect our reporter, Tom Allnut, caught up with the artistic director, Sarah Brampton, to find out what the festival's all about. But he that had the steerage of my course, direct my sail. Oh, lucky gentleman. Right, right. 
it's a rather magical annual event that happens in Hertfordshire. So this is our 64th festival and we're performing Romeo and Juliet and Much Ado About Nothing. What can we expect from those players? Because people, especially those two players, know what to expect they might have seen them before what's going to be different about these plays both the plays this year are quite unusual in that neither play is set in what some of our audience members would call traditional period costume i'm going to go back to 1945 for much ado about nothing to tap into um i suppose that jubilimpic spirit which is prevalent at the moment in the country i was well aware that the dates of the festival were clashing with the olympics and i thought that there might be a lot of bunting and some Union flags spare. So we're going for a a 1945 feel with quite a lot of Lindy Hop. And I have a marvellous chap, Lee Marsh, who lives locally in Berkhamsted, who is um, an absolute World War II expert. Um, So he's he's bringing in his beast of a tank. Um, So we will have a huge amount of World War II paraphernalia. And so that's what I'm aiming for, uh, a kind of proper celebration of everything that's that's brilliant about 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 this country the most unusual thing about this festival is perhaps that it's all in the open air how does that work well i guess we're pretty at the mercy of the elements but that's part of the charm of it i think there's something fantastically british i suppose about annual open air events it's the same kind of wimbledon principle that regardless of whether it carries on we just have a huge amount of regular theater goers who come every year to both plays are extremely loyal and arrive with galoshes picnic thermals ready for 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 whatever the eventuality as i drove in the driveway today i had to sort of veer around a group of peacocks i think they were do they ever have a role in the place now the peacocks are a slight law unto themselves they respond extremely well to certain voice pitches and have been known to wander on stage to respond to various actors cries so for example we're rehearsing romeo and juliet at the moment with several quite complicated fight sequences um, which do seem to be underscored, yes, not only by the A41 on occasion, but also, yes, as enhanced by the peacocks. Sounds absolutely fantastic. Now, you mentioned more mature members. So next to me here is John, who's Sarah's father. Now, John, you've been involved in these plays for how many years? 45. What's been your favourite part? I would love to be able to say Malvolio. Unfortunately, I don't think I was terribly good and i was much better uh, as sir toby belch does that say something about your personality john <laughs> well i uh, i think other people had better say this <laughs> it'd be nice to think so are there tickets still on sale for next week Yes, there are, uh, especially earlier in the week. I, I, I'm not quite sure how many of the audience we might lose, actually, depending on uh, whether Tom Daly is being successful on the diving. So absolutely, yeah, the box office is is open and online at www.pendleyshakespearefestival.org and you can get through to the box office on that number at the hotel, yes. There we go, fantastic. How does open-air theatre work? Well, if it chucks it down, it gets wet. I like a bit of open-air theatre um, because... Um, sorry, what was that? something whispered in my ear there I do apologise I like a bit of open air theatre because you're open to the elements and it's a bit dangerous and if the peacocks do come and take part that makes it all the more special doesn't it that's a little bit more exciting 08459 455 555 is the telephone number Beds, Hearts and Bugs News BBC Three Counties Radio 6.45 Tuesday the 31st of July these are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio 
Hemel Hempstead teenager Max Whitlock has won an Olympic bronze medal in the team gymnastics. The 19-year-old helped Team GB to a shock third place, the first team medal in the sport in 100 years. The family of a grandmother who died at the QE2 hospital in Wellingarden City after being denied food and water for a week are thought to be considering legal action. Joan Patoldi died in September 2009 after being admitted for a routine hip operation. In sport, Watford have confirmed seven new signings, including former Arsenal goalkeeper Manuel Almunia and QPR defender Fitz Hall. And your weather across beds, hearts and bucks. Misty with patchy rain or drizzle becoming drier and a little brighter later. The day's maximum temperature is 19 degrees Celsius. Coming up, there was concern yesterday in one town in Bedfordshire as 20 horses turned up on land seemingly abandoned. Our reporter went to find out more and we'll hear that next. I'm not a massive fan of the 80s, but I love this song. This is a brilliant song, isn't it? This is this is a fantastic song. I'll shut up now and let you enjoy it. Aha, take on me. It's a cracking song, isn't it? You, you can't argue with that. Take on me. Uh, by Aha. Good morning, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. It's 6.50. Uh, oh, now, this is a, an interesting story. 20 horses have appeared on council land in Leighton Buzzard. Uh, it was thought they'd been abandoned on Oozle Meadow, but now a man has come forward saying they're his. The animals had previously been left on nearby farmland without the farmer's permission, and there are fears about where they might be moved to next. Michael Hodgson, who works at the nearby Globe Inn pub, has been telling our reporter Brendan Murphy how the horses arrived. The whole of my uh, patio here was full of customers, and all of a sudden there was horses walking past. There was the mums and the little foals following behind, um, and they were just being taken up the footpath to the nearest field. Obviously, my concern was if I had a child running out in the road, um, that they might get trampled over by um, one of the horses. So if I was to walk down this towpath here, how long would I be walking for until I saw the horses, About do you think? five, ten minutes. They're literally just down this road. I don't know whether they've been moved on. OK, so I'm just going to take a walk down this towpath away from the Globe Inn, and let's see if I can find these horses come past the first lock on the river coming away from the pub and I've just spotted a horse through the trees um, if I look down here uh, there's a gate leading into this field and uh, where there is a notice an abandonment notice uh, saying that if you are the legal owner or have information regarding the ownership of the equines uh, there's a number there to ring and giving 14 days notice for the equines to be removed so I'm in the field with the horses now. Uh, there's been an estimate of about 20 horses. That looks probably about right to me. I've met a gentleman who's walking his dogs through the field. Uh, what's your name, sir? My name's Martin. Whenever you're walking through this field here, is this something that you do regularly? Yeah, pretty much every day. And have the horses caused any problems for you walking through the field? No, not at all. It's actually nice to see them down here. And is it a, does it, do you think that it distresses the horses at all? I don't think so. No, they seem really tame. They're happy with um, the attention that I've seen that they're getting. Okay. Uh, hi, I'm Rebecca and I'm from Leighton Buzzard. Rebecca, I've just walked into this field where the horses are and uh, y- you were quite tactile with the horses, you were up, up close with them and you must have previous experience with horses because it's quite intimidating for me to walk into that mm-hmm. field. Oh no, you're absolutely fine. You can, you can tell obviously the mares that are with their foals, you know, you just leave the foals away, um, see if the mares want to come over to you. But yeah, I took a bit of carrot in with me so they were quite happy to come over and talk. I mean, they all seem quite friendly so obviously they've been well handled. I mean, they're not... They've got no injuries on them or cuts, or, and they look all in well, very well condition from what I can see. So You said to me that, that you ride. Does that mean that, that you can spot a, a healthy horse then, obviously? 
Well, yeah, I think anyone that knows a bit, like quite a bit about horses, you know, you can tell. I mean, they all look quite well. You know, they've got bright eyes. You know, they've got good coats. None of them are, you know, looking straggly and skinny. I mean, they all look quite well looked after. Mm. But, but you're not a vet, are you? No, no, I'm not a vet. No. There is access to to water where they can drink from down at the back of this field. Is there? Um, oh, I believe that. There's a river just down the back there, but I don't know, you know, if they, I did have a look down there, but there's quite a steep bank, and there was a few hoof prints that so looked like horses slipped down there. But um, yeah, they should have like water containers or something if they were going to be left in here. Just walking back from the field where most of the horses are, passing a, another field where the there's a pond where the horses, some of the horses are drinking from. There's six adult horses in one foal. It looks like to me, drinking from. Uh, uh, like a, a little pond, but it looks like quite a muddy pond. Um, don't know how clean that water is, but there is evidence that uh, the horses have found water here, at least, anyway. Uh, and Leighton Lindsley Council say they've been told by the owner that the horses will be removed within the next two weeks. How can you just move 20 horses um, and just leave them in the field without anybody noticing? That seems odd, isn't it? Uh, we're talking about the Olympics, of course. Uh, you, you know, what else is there to talk about? And one of the odd things that we noticed, uh, the, the, the production team and myself noticed when we've been watching the swimming, is that when the swimmers come out from the, the changing room and they walk through that little pool of water so they don't get verrucas, uh, they've quite often got headphones in. And some of them have got the little tiny little ones that go in the ears. Some of them got the big retro 70s style. What are they listening to? Are they listening to, like, The Eye of the Tiger? Or, you know, sort of inspiring music, like some classical music, or, you know, maybe a bit of Fleetwood Mac. I don't know. That would get me pumped up. A little bit of, little bit of Fleetwood Mac. Some Tusk would be, would be good. Or are they listening to one of those hypnotic, you can win the swimming. You can win the swimming. Remember to swim. Are they listening to one of those? It's a genuine question, because I've got no idea. Is it... I, I would imagine that they're listening to some sort of music that helps them focus and, you know, focus on what they're about to do and ignore the crowd. But if I was going to swim for my country, I totally want want to hear the crowd cheering me on because you're not going to get that again, or not for a long time. Can someone give me a call? 08459 455 555. What on earth are the swimmers listening to when they come out? And some of them come out. I saw one uh, British lad on Saturday, I think it was, he came out very cocky. He had a real swagger to him. He had his reflective um, goggles on. I don't like the reflective goggles. There's, there's no need for that. Um, and there's music on. And he was a real little, you know, sort of cocky so-and-so, strutting about like that. I thought that was a bit odd. So can you tell me, what are they listening to? Or you can have a good guess as well. You can text me on this, 81333 CR. What would be good music for a, a swimmer to strut out to? And they don't do it on any other sports, do they? You don't, you don't see... Um, I would have thought some of the cyclists might have had their... their I nearly said Walkman. Look, that shows how old I am. Might have had their iPods on, pumping out some tunes to keep them motivated and keep them going. 08459 455 555. So, anyway, I was out last night in central London. Very late. I was doing something for Five Live. Um, bizarrely, we were on the, the London Eye, so we were going around the Eye with a gospel choir, <laughs> like, as you do. Uh, and then I was, had to wait for, they, they got me a car, uh, eventually, after an hour and a half, and I had to wait for it. And I was with one of the production team, and she had um, a mobile phone, and she had an iPad. So she's there with an iPad, and we're sort of a little bit away from uh, the wheel. And then these three young lads sort of sauntered over, and it was just me and this girl, and these three lads, I was thinking, oh no, I don't like groups of blokes, I don't like groups of anyone, I don't like people, to be honest, but groups of blokes, late at night, made me think, 
Oh, dear. And two of the lads sort of walked behind this girl. And one of them went and stood directly in front of her, really close. And was obviously, was, was so going to snatch her iPad. It, he was just building up to it. And I'm thinking, I'm the only bloke here. I've got to do something. And so what I did was I sort of pushed my way in between this bloke and this girl. So I'm staring at this girl who I'm with. I sort of, no, because I'm working with her. And I'm sort of there, and the guy's going, what's your problem? I said, no problem. I'm just with my girlfriend. She was about 22. I'm nearly 40. I'm just, I'm just with my girlfriend. Why have you pushed in front of me? Oh, no reason, mate. No reason. We don't want any trouble. Away you go. And he sort of started effing and jeffing and using very coarse indoor language and walked away. And the girl said, oh, thank you, Ian. That was, that was, I got really nervous there. I said, yeah, to be honest, if he'd have pulled out a knife, you'd have totally been on your own because I would have been off. I got very nervous. Have you ever stopped a potential mugging taking place? It was quite unpleasant. And I'll, I'll let you know now, dear listener, I'm tall and I'm broad-shouldered, but I'm not the physical kind of person at all. If there's any argy-bargy, I am out of there. You know, without a moment's hesitation. Was that the right thing to do? He went away, and the girl kept her iPad. But part of me was just thinking, why have you got an iPad out? It's half past twelve at night in central London, you silly woman. Put it away. Of course you're asking for it to be stolen. Oh, wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Have you ever stopped uh, a potential crime? And how did it go? Did, did you kind of... Did it go well, and they, they backed down and went away? Or did it get a little bit nasty? I'll be honest... I was I was shaking and I was terrified because I was thinking if if this does turn nasty, this is me, this girl, and this bloke and his two mates, and they could totally have us in a rumble. Uh, the fact that I'm using the word rumble means I'm not particularly streetwise in the slightest. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. It's seven o'clock. Coming up in the next hour, more on Max Whitlock and the fantastic bronze medal from the Team GB gymnastics team. All of that after the latest news and sport with Simon Oxley. Good morning, dear listener. This is Ian Lee on uh, BBC Three Counties Radio, your breakfast show. Here until nine o'clock, it's nearly five minutes past seven. Lots coming up in the next hour. Uh, We'll be talking a lot about Max Whitlock, who's this incredible gymnast who helped Team GB get their first medal, Olympic medal, in the gymnastics for a hundred years. Imagine that. We'll be speaking to various people connected with that. Lots of other stuff as well. We're asking, um, what are the swimmers listening to when they come out with their iPods in? What on earth are they listening to? 08459 455 555. If you've seen any particularly left-of-centre sports, slightly odd things, with with the red button... On your TVs, on your satellite TVs. You can watch anything as it's happening. I pressed it yesterday. They said there are 25 sports currently taking place. Fantastic. It's too much choice. But what odd things have you seen and found yourself glued in front of? Things you'd never imagined you'd have liked. I I wanted to see the table tennis yesterday, but I missed it. I love the table tennis. Because you just think of ping pong. You think like going to the youth club and playing a bit of ping pong. But these table tennis champions are incredible. The speed and the skill. It's like tennis, but on a table. How does that work? 08459 455 555. Uh, we're here till 9 o'clock. And one of the things, for the rest of this week while I'm doing the show, you can call in any time you want, either about any of the stuff that I'm talking about or any of the stuff that maybe you think we should be talking about that we've not mentioned. Uh, the way to get in touch, you can email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. You can text 
81333. Start your text 3CR, or you can give me a call. It's the best way to do it, because we can have a little natter then. 08459 455 555. On FM, AM and online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio. Our top story this morning. Hemel Hempstead teenager Max Whitlock has won an Olympic bronze medal in the team gymnastics. The 19-year-old helped Team GB to a shock third place. The first team medal in the sport in 100 years. We had no expectancies going into this competition. We just wanted to go in there, enjoy it, have fun. That's what we said to each other before the competition. And just, just go out there and do our best, really. We made history coming into the team final and to get a bronze medal. That is, is unbelievable for us all, so it's just incredible. But he said the celebrations would have to go on hold for now. Well, I've got the pummel final to, um, coming up on Sunday, so I've got to be sensible up till then. And then, um, yeah, I think I might have um, a burger or two in there. Just really enjoy it. Um, go out and celebrate. Have just Basically, I can eat what I want then as well, really, so I'm really looking forward to it. It was first announced that the team had taken the silver, but just ten minutes later, the result was downgraded after Japan appealed against a pommel horse score. The BBC's commentary team said the drama shouldn't take away from the British achievement. What a shame, because we should be thrilled with a bronze medal, and what a shame to have it won in that way, really. They looked back at the video... They knew what they should have given it and they couldn't hide. That was very brave, a brave decision and it had to be fair and it was fair. We'll bring you more on that in the next 15 minutes. We've already had someone uh, who called in and explained um, why the Japanese appealed. But the, the Japanese fella fell off the horse. He landed on his feet, but he fell off the horse. Is that really good enough to win a silver? We'll talk about that more a bit later on. 08459 455 555. But first, let's turn our attention to the grandmother who died in a Hertfordshire hospital after being denied food and water for a week. Joan Petoldi died in September 2009 after being admitted to the QE2 hospital in Welling Garden City for a routine hip operation. The 76-year-old was put on a nil-by-mouth diet, meaning she couldn't eat anything before the operation. The surgery was delayed several times. One week on, she still hadn't eaten or had her operation. Tragically, she never recovered. The hospital are led to believe the family are considering legal action against the trust. Gary Fitzgerald from Action on Elder Abuse told BBC Three Counties Radio that legal action should be taken against the individuals who let this happen in, uh, in the future. If we had an older person who was mugged on the street, we would be outraged if they were seriously hurt and we'd be calling on the police to take immediate criminal action. If something similar happens to someone in a hospital ward, the regulator will give them 14 or 28 days to say what they're going to do about it. And there's no feeling that there's a consequence or a serious implication for people when they can neglect people as badly as this. And I think the first thing we're going to start with is if you move into care, if you work in health, there are many people around you providing good care. If you don't do it, then there should be action taken against you. And that should include criminal action if you allow somebody to die. Well, that was the view of Gary Fitzgerald from Action on Elder Abuse, who says neglect in medical care should be criminalised. Just think about it for a second. Imagine if that was your mum or your nan or your granddad in that situation. It seems incredible, doesn't it? When we, when we go to hospital or we, you know, allow relatives to go to hospital, we expect everything to be covered. 
and catered for. And I, I, I've got to be honest, for the most part, my experience with hospital, for the most part, has been excellent. I take my little boy to the hospital yesterday, and they were superb. Absolutely superb. I have seen one or two things that have left me scratching my head, though. Uh, Peter Gibson is from East and North Hertfordshire NHS Trust and joins me on the phone now. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. Peter, this is obviously a very tragic case. The coroner gave a narrative verdict, but the question is, how is it that a 60-year-old woman was left to undergo an operation when she was so weak and denied food and water? She didn't have anything to eat for a week. Well, look, I'm not going to defend what happened back down in, back in 2009. Just a couple of clarifications. One, it wasn't a routine operation. She'd actually fractured her hip, and it was, an, it was an emergency operation that has to happen within 36 hours. But the problem we had back then was that the unit that does it also did emergencies, uh, you know, real emergencies, life-saving, trauma, crash, you know, car crashes, that sort of thing. And the problem was it kept getting cancelled because of other operations. Now, she wasn't a drip, so she was hydrated. But they did keep her nil by mouth, which today wouldn't happen. Peter, Peter, sorry, let me talk. There are, there are... That will undo that. And there were thorough investigations at the time, and everything has been changed. Peter, can I just say, there are, there are two things you mentioned there. You said it wasn't a routine operation, so why was it kept getting put off? Because and if it was get, kept getting put off, why didn't they give her some food? Well, as I said... What happened back then was not acceptable. I can't go back and unchange it. No, but I'm just asking why. I'm just asking what the situation was that, led, that allowed that operation that, as you say, wasn't routine to be um, postponed so, for so long and for no one to go, hang on a second, maybe we should give her some food and water. Exactly, and that's, that's what has been changed. Um, but why, know, wasn't it, why didn't it happen then? That's what I'm asking. Well, the answer is, three years ago, I can't, I'm not standing there, you're not standing there. Why they made those decisions? All I can say is, today, that doesn't happen. And, you know, the, the but you would, I would hope. Hugely. I would hope it, it, it would never happen, and obviously it has. So you yeah. must you must know why there was why this this, this poor woman um, fell through the net. Why Joan kind of slipped through? Because she got caught in this cycle of cancelled operations, which is you know very traumatic for the staff, but also hugely traumatic for the for the patient and their family. It doesn't happen in that way today at all. The new unit just does fractured hips. And as a result of that, they've changed not just the, the whole experience, um, they've also changed custom practice in between. If the operation wasn't routine, as, as you said, yep. uh, and was obviously quite urgent, why was it delayed for so long? Because there were, there were three things that happened. Uh, one, you had that you had also looked after people who had been through you know, life-threatening trauma. At that point, her, her condition was not life-threatening, but it was urgent. And there's, there's always the risk that another operation could take precedent because that person's life was at risk. That happened. And there was also a problem at that point with the sterilization of some of the, the, urge of the instruments that were being used that then the, the uh, operations had to be cancelled. When we made big changes to get around those problems. And the unit that's in existence now doesn't experience those sorts of problems. I'm scratching my head slightly. You keep using the word urgent, but yet it, it, it couldn't have been that urgent if it was put off for a week. Well, the, the, the guidance for fractured hips is that your operation must take place within 36 hours of being admitted. So why was this a week? Because the cancellation started to happen. As I'm saying, the guidance is but there, you're contradicting but the cancellations yourself. came in place. Uh, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say what happened back then was right. It wasn't. Of course it wasn't. 
and we have made big changes with the new units of the QE2 where, you know, the latest information for June was that over 70% of the patients admitted for fractured hips had their operation within 24 hours. The rest were within 36 hours. There were a handful of patients who didn't, but they had other clinical complications, infections, um, underlying um, uh, medical problems that had to be addressed first before the operation could take place. And but the vast majority within 24 fantastic. hours. Fantastic, and that's great, but, but sadly too late uh, for Joan Cataldi. We've never, ever, ever, we've, you know, we've apologised the family back then, since then. There were two internal investigations. There was the response to the coronet inquest. We've never, ever shied away from the fact that back in 2009, Mrs. Cataldi's care was not good enough. Peter, thank you very much. Uh, that's Peter Gibson from East and North Hertfordshire NHS Trust uh, commenting on Joan Pataldi, who died in September 2009 after being admitted to the QE2 hospital in Welling Garden City. Uh, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Tuesday, July the 31st. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Hemel Hempstead teenager Max Whitlock has won an Olympic bronze medal in the team gymnastics. The 19-year-old helped Team GB to a shock third place, the first team medal in the sport in 100 years. The family of a grandmother who died at the QE2 hospital in Welling Garden City after being denied food and, food and water for a week are thought to be considering legal action. Joan Pataldi died in September 2009 after being admitted for a hip operation. In sport, Watford have confirmed seven new signings, including former Arsenal goalkeeper Manuel Almunia and QPR defender Fitzhall. We'll have a full sports bulletin with Simon in 15 minutes and we'll have weather soon with Jim Bacon. Coming up, we catch up with our reporter at the Olympic Park to hear more on Max Whitlock's victory with the rest of the Team GB gymnastics squad yesterday. Uh, you can text in at any point, of course. I prefer the phone calls, but the texts are lovely. 81333, start your text 3CR. Ben, uh, we talked about having streakers, and Ben has reminded me, we did have a streaker on the Olympic torch relay. It was in Oxfordshire. Do you remember? I missed it, but I'm totally going to YouTube it. We, one of the things we are great at in this country is streaking. I want to see some streakers in the sports. That would liven things up a bit. I want to see... You don't see policemen with, with their helmets off chasing naked men trying to put them over their winkles. You don't see that anymore, do you? I don't think I can say that, uh, Winkle, on, on the BBC, but I've just said it twice. Uh, and Dave in Luton has uh, texted him, when does the Olympics end? I'm so fed up with it all now on radio and TV. You've got a little bit longer to go, I'm afraid, David. Quite a bit longer. Alan is in Harpenden. Good morning, Alan. Good morning. Good morning there. Ian, um, yes. Alan, what, what are the swimmers listening to when they come out to the pool? Well, my suggestion is, and it's a bit of a groaner, it's aqua, we belong to the sea. Alan, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you, Alan. We'll leave it... Partly because it was a bad line and partly because it was a bad, bad joke. Those are the reasons. So, according to the Daily Express... Now, I'm shocked at this for two reasons. One, I'm reading the Daily Express. Two, confetti crops are a washout. Now, there's a picture of this amazing field. Delphinium crops, all these different... These, these mauves and purples and pinks and whites. Uh, and because of the rain, the uh, confetti crop this year is at an all-time low. I thought confetti was just paper. I didn't know you could buy... There's like... Hang on a minute. That means that my family were quite tight at my wedding. Because they just chucked the papers off. I didn't know you could get get flour confetti. My wife's half Greek, so we had rice thrown at us. That's not fun. Like proper hard rice. Just chuck big lumps of rice chucked at you. 
You've just come out, you've just got married, and you've got a load of people, some of whom I, I, I can't understand. And one of the joys of going on holiday uh, with the family in, in Greece is they all speak Greek. I don't speak Greek. I had lessons. Uh, the Greek language is the hardest language in the world. It's ridiculously hard, right? So we go on holiday for Greece, to Greece for two weeks. And I just take a load of books, and I can just sit there reading books, books, because my wife and all her family are talking in Greek. And every now and then, one of the Greek cousins or something will say something in sort of English to make me feel involved. And I go, yeah, yeah, no, thank you. Back to the book. It's wonderful. Two weeks of pure peace. Uh, but the, the confetti crops uh, 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 are suffering this year because of the bad weather. I didn't know you could get proper flower confetti. Feel a little bit cheated by um, by just having the paper stuff. The thing about confetti as well is it ne- it never works because you throw it and it always gets caught in a gust of wind and comes back and hits you in the face. So you end up with confetti. It seems like a fun thing. Hey, we got some confetti. You want some confetti? They're going to come out. We have got some confetti. It's like someone's passing around a, a hip flask or something. We have got some confetti, but don't tell anyone. We're not meant to throw it outside the church. And then you get armed with your confetti and you chuck it. Uh, but it never lands on them. Hey, another thing I didn't know is that at Greek traditional weddings, what they do is that the, you kind of dance around with the, the bride and the groom, dance around, and they pin money on the dress. Now, no one told me this, right? So we had like a, what well, I guess a traditional English Christian wedding. We're not particularly Christian, but we did it in a church, and we kind of had that sort of thing. And then afterwards, my mother-in-law, who's Greek, said, so why didn't you go for the, the Greek wedding? I said, oh, you know, didn't really fancy it, you know. Because oh, we were all going to pin a load of money on the dress. What? Why didn't you tell me? Some of her relatives, they're quite well off. Why didn't you tell me you were going to pin money on her dress? Of course we Is it too late to change it? Unfortunately, it was too late. Uh, it's 7.21. It is all about dodging showers. Sa- the weekend was weird, wasn't it? Sunday was odd. One minute brilliant sunshine. Then it was chucking it down. Then it was brilliant sunshine. Then it was freezing. It was all over the shop. It wouldn't make its mind up. 08459 455 555 if you want to give me a call at any point this morning. Team GB won a medal for gymnastics for the first time in 100 years. Yesterday, Hemel Hempstead teenager Max Whitlock helped the team to win the Olympic bronze medal. He was asked if the success had sunk in yet. You know what, it really hasn't. I don't think it was sinking for a long time. It's, I mean, we made history coming into the team final and to get a bronze medal. That is, is unbelievable for us all, so it's just incredible. We can talk now to our Olympic reporter, Mark Shardlow. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. Now, I'm not, I'm not a huge follower of, uh, of gymnastics or any sport. This whole Olympics has opened up my eyes to a whole new world, Mark. But how much of a surprise was this medal? It was a big surprise, really, because Britain hadn't won a team gold for the men for uh, a team medal uh, for a hundred years. So that's the context. You know, it's it's history, really, in the mm. making. Incredible. And when they did win the last medal, gymnastics was just a sort of pommel horse jumping event. Nothing like it is today. I love the way you said pommel horse with such contempt, Mark. It was fantastic. Remind us what happened, because I, I was sort of looking on Twitter, and it, first of all, we got a silver, didn't we? And then what happened? Yes, the Japanese had got uh, penalised for the dis mount on a pommel horse they appealed britain had silver for around half an hour but the appeal was upheld and it went back down to bronze but let nothing take anything away from the likes of max what an achievement from those five lads but the japanese fella fell off the horse didn't he now i don't know much about gymnastics but surely that's a bad thing 
Well, I'd have thought it's a bad thing. I'm not the, I'm not the gymnastic expert either, but I, try, I put my faith in the judging and the judges' system, and he must have performed pretty well whilst on it. And when he came off it, well, I guess that didn't count so much. Uh, I, I suppose it's really it's, it's the line of when, uh, when, when the routine is over or not that counts. I feel sorry. Was it, I think it was the Ukrainians who, who were bronze, and then they got bumped down to fourth, and just a pat on the back. That's the hardest position, isn't it? When you think you've got a medal for yeah. a moment. I mean, I think the lads, as they said, you know, silver would have been amazing, but bronze was still just beyond their dreams. Well, there have been some of the, st- the papers saying, it's not good, we- we've-, we've not won any golds yet. Hang on a second. We've won- winning any medal in the Olympics, Mark, I don't know about you, but if I won anything in the Olympics... I'd be more than happy with that. My mum would be proud. That's the main thing. Well, I just think the inspiration, you know, you've got a local lad, Max, who trains down at the Basildon Sporting Village. Yep. And all the people who go down there on the gymnastic classes from, you know, Tiny Tots, the older ones, how inspirational is that for them to know that an ordinary lad from mm. their club can go to the Olympics on the world stage and get a medal for the first time in 100 years. That is staggering. It is exciting. Now, you spent all of yesterday in the aquatics arena. What were your highlights? Yeah, I'm here again this morning where you might just hear they're doing a few running repairs. Uh, The highlight was a gold for a British schoolgirl called Ruta Melatute, except she swims for Lithuania. Yeah, she's a sensation. I don't know if you saw her last night. She was blubbing away like anything on the podium with her gold medal. It was an amazing surprise and uh, she moved to this country three years ago with her dad and mum died when she was uh, small in a car crash and um, dad uh, came over here for a lifestyle change she was picked up by Plymouth College trained in this country her coach is British the structure's British she just doesn't swim for this country and also her school buddy Tom Daly goes to the same college and Tom was heartbreakingly close to a medal. He finished fourth in the diving, an agonising position after messing up his fourth dive with Pete Waterfield in the synchronised highboard diving. They're obviously doing something right at, at, that, at that college then, if, that's, if they've got two champions. That girl was 15 years old uh, and I was listening on Five Live last night and they played the reaction of her schoolmates who watched it when she won the gold medal and they went bonkers. Imagine going back into school at the start of term in September. What did you do in the school holidays oh, i played on my spectrum and watched knight rider what did you do oh i won an olympic gold medal <laughs> it's incredible she's 15 yeah. yeah do you have mark you might, you probably don't know the answer to this but do you have any idea what the swimmers are listening to on their headphones when they come out you know what i'm looking at what, what i think it's a diver who's just come down to the pool ahead of me now it's a british diver it might be tanya couch because she's in the pool later today she's got those headphones on mm. i think some of them like the beaty beat beat music oh that right. always <laughs> used to be that always used to be the sort of stuff they want you yep. know um but uh, now i'm hearing that that one or two are actually favoring something more calming oh. as they come out a bit of adele just to sort of relax oh, themselves Mark, you've maybe you, that's why we haven't got gold, eh? You have a young man's voice, but you have just given yourself away as being a very old man by using the phrase "beaty beat beat music." <laughs> uh, any more medals on the horizon? What, what's happening today? Yeah, I'm looking at the eventing this morning. We're in silver, and if we can just overhaul those Germans, then it could be gold. After the show jumping discipline, the team and individual come on. Zara Phillips. Uh, we've got Couch and Barrow on the diving board this afternoon. We've got the women's gymnasts at tea time with Beth Tweddle, but it's the team event not sure we're going to get a medal there and also later today david florence in the canoe slalom he could be the man getting the first goal for team gb mark fantastic no doubt we'll speak to you again later on in the week that's uh, our olympic reporter mark Sharver. and i was i was on the london eye last night um doing some nonsense and at the very very top you could see 
into Horse Guards Parade, and you could see them playing beach volleyball. Uh, this was like half eleven at night. And it kind of... I, I'm really gutted that I've not got any Olympic tickets now. I'm really kind of thinking, oh, I wish... I wish I got something. Terrible mistake of me not to get anything. I'm still looking to... Um, I'm, I'm finding out exactly when my little boy is going to be away on holiday. And I'm, I'm, we're still going to hopefully get some tickets for the Paralympics. And if, you're, if you've been kind of thinking, well, the Olympics tickets, they're a bit expensive. Paralympics tickets, they're 10 quid, 20 quid superb I, I don't want to spend 75 pounds on a ticket for my two and a half year old boy because he'll get bored after 20 minutes but if you're spending a tenner 20 quid you, you can kind of justify that can't you across beds hearts and bucks this is bbc three counties radio thank you very much simon it's 7 35 this is ian lee on bbc three counties radio there's a, a report in the uh, in the mirror uh top tips for get, getting to sleep we'll go through that later on because I'm, I'm struggling to sleep at the moment. You would think that doing a, a, a show like this, where you have to get up at four, and you, that I would sleep really well. I'm sleeping terribly. If you've got any sleeping tips, could you let me know? There are 21 tips in this report in, in the mirror. They're all a bit rubbish. Check your mattress. Uh, what? It's, it's a mattress. If you have any sleeping tips, 08459 455 555. And don't say drink chamomile tea. It doesn't work. Just makes me want to go to the toilet all night. So, any tips? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. A little bit of Brazil has come to Letchworth Garden City this week. Homes Circuit Designs Limited won a contract to supply circuit boards for the part of the Olympic closing ceremony when London hands the flag to the next host city, Rio. As the team worked to meet a two p.m. deadline for the dress rehearsal, our reporter Richard Williams was there. <laughs> Gene, we're down in the Surface Mount area. We're standing next to a very big machine. You're one of the directors of the company. A lot of late nights and early mornings at the moment for you. Just explain to us, what is this machine doing at the moment? Um, what's happening here is Stuart's setting up the machine. So we've got a, a large machine which takes the bare circuit board. It's all programmed to pick up the components from their trays or the tape or whatever they're delivered in and place them in the accurate positions on the board so that they're ready for the next stage. Stuart, we're in the hand-built assembly area. You've got a board here. This one's going out at 2 o'clock. What's going to happen now to it? Well, now all the surface mounters have been completed downstairs on the machine. This is now going to be brought, like being brought up to the hand-built assembly area. Um, we'll have a couple of operators, stroke inspectors, who will actually have a look over the board to ensure that the solder joints are correct. And how many boards of these are you going to be making today? Uh, on this particular variant, we're doing 120. To be out by 2pm? To be out by 2pm. Carol, you're also one of the directors here. Tell us about how you've got the job and when you found out. Well, we had a call a week last Friday and a tip-off that we might, might be required to do some work. It's basically through an engineer we know through the University of Middlesex that we've done work for in the past. He's working with somebody who's working on the closing ceremony of the Olympic Games and they've been let down dreadfully by their PCB supplier. They basically asked us, can you help us out? Will you help us out? It means long hours, lots of boards, tight tight deadlines and we said of course we can this is like the test area to where we actually just do a quick test before we send it out to the customer here we can see we've got like a, an led strip board so what we do is we'll connect it all up to the like the power supply set the voltage and the amperage once that's correct we just then flick the button and then we just make sure all the leds come on which they all do on that one since we got the order last wednesday we've delivered over 700 boards so far by the time the order's complete this Wednesday, it'll be almost 3,000 boards, with the 1,500 remaining being delivered on Wednesday. Here we are on the final stages of the board preparation. So they've been gone through the surface mount, they've gone through the conventional. So at the moment, these two lads have got Zbigniew and Grant. They're actually cleaning the boards now. 
just making sure they're nice and clean to our standard before we ship them out. We're up to um, board number 80 of 124 delivery for this afternoon at 2 o'clock. Gene, you're actually going to be taking the 120 boards this afternoon. This is all very secretive. What do you know about where you're going this afternoon and what do you see when you get there? Um, not very much. A big empty warehouse with lots of black screens up. We go there, we drop the boards off and we're escorted all the time. And this is because tonight there's a dress rehearsal at this location? Yeah, they're having a major dress rehearsal today, which is why we need to get these boards to them this afternoon. The fact that we got this order last week, we're completing it to all the deadlines, to a high quality, shows that British companies can actually showcase on a global scale. We can compete with the other countries and we are being used more and more for that that level of work. It's important for us to use our existing staff base. One, because it's nice to reward them with the overtime available, which has been very difficult to give them in the current economic climate. And two, we know and trust our existing staff base. We work on fast turnaround, technical boards. We're not going to get a second chance at these, so you need to have your team that you know and trust. What do you actually know about where your lights are going to be used? We believe they're being used in the costumes and the special effects and the props for the eight-minute segment that the Brazilians, Rio de Janeiro, have at the end of the closing ceremony. Will you be watching on the night? I certainly will. Fingers and toes crossed and then celebrating afterwards. Do you actually know if you're going to be able to be there on the night yet? I'm hoping we can. And if we can't, then we're going to have a massive staff party to celebrate our achievements. And they are an achievement, really. What we've managed to do in the last week has been fantastic. And all the staff have pulled together. And I'm very, very proud of them. Well, good for them. It's good to hear a local business doing well. You did think, though, when the guy was, uh, was talking to the reporter, Richard Williams, we've got to get this done by two, he was kind of saying, yeah, could you stop interviewing me now, please? We've actually got to get this finished. Uh, superb stuff there. That's uh, Home Circuit Designs Limited, who are building circuit boards for the closing ceremony uh, of the Olympics. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give me a call. Uh, I'm looking for your sleep tips. I'll go through this list that's in the mirror. A lot of them I'm not convinced by but we'll do that in a minute. Let's go to Ophelia in Luton. Good morning, Ophelia. Morning. How are you? I'm all right. I'm. I'm. Do you know what? I didn't get much sleep last night, which is why I'm looking for sleep tips. Get a, go have a sauna. Sorry. So go to the sauna and. Are you inviting a, me? No. Oh, so I misunderstood. <laughs> I do apologise. So, would, would that help, Ophelia? It does. It does. Okay. Uh, have a, a, a good swim, yeah. sauna... And then sit, then sit in a room with a load of naked, sweaty men. That's going to help me sleep, is it? No, it steams and relaxes you, make you feel tired when you come out. I'm never sure of the etiquette in saunas, because in some saunas, you're meant to be naked, and in some, you're not meant to be naked. And it's, it's always, you've kind of got to peek through the window to see the lay of the land, so to speak. If you have a notice, you know if you can strip right down. But men aren't bad, you know, you get a little nice steam. Put a bit of salt on your body, Ooh. sea salt make your steam even further, clear your pores, Ooh. sniff a bit of um, 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 eucalyptus, eucalyptus oil, okay, yes. and um, clear your nostrils and your head. When you come out, you'll be heading for your bed. Ophelia, this is fantastic. I'll be heading for somebody's bed. Are <laughs> you? I didn't mean that. Inappropriate, inappropriate. Are you, how do you know all this stuff? Are you kind of some sort of re- relaxologist? Is that oh, a word? You no, know, I've always been using sauna since I went to Turkey on holiday. 
Right. And um, it was really um, soothing. And then I just, you know, most gyms, I don't really join a gym unless it's got a sauna. Right. And women talk, you get little tips from this person and that person. Oh, really? Yeah, it's, it's a good meeting place. How funny, because men, men do not talk in the, we don't I even know. look at each other. And if a man comes in and starts talking, you're like, oh, don't talk to me, exactly. don't talk to me. Yeah. Ophelia, this isn't what you've called in about. You called in about confetti. Confetti, yes. You seemed a bit surprised about, um, confetti. A lot of people use confettis in, um, weddings. You sometimes see, uh, they give it to children. Just as the bride come in, they pave the floor with it. Well, I know what confetti is. No, but how it works, it's far better than, if, if, if you have real confetti, you would never really want to go back to paper confetti. Really? Because when you throw it up in yeah. the air, it actually floats down like leaves falling in autumn. Oh, see, that's nice. And it's, it's like a slow motion, and you actually really get to walk through it. Yeah. And um, it's beautiful. The way it falls and it lands on you, then it drifts on the floor. It's really expensive, but oh. worth it. Because the paper confetti just comes straight back in your face. It does. Did you it's hear? We, we had... The we, nice big petal leaves. We had um, rice at our wedding. Ooh. Mm, uh, it just meant that we got it stuck in our hair. So all of the photos after we've left the church, it's just me and my wife with rice in our hair. Oh, that's a good omen as well. For what? It's, for, it's a sign of, um... Rice. Um, it's, a, it's a sign of blessing <laughs> that you want the person to be rich, um, fertile, wow. and happy. You are one of the most optimistic people I have <laughs> ever spoken to. And for that reason, Ophelia, I hate you. Oh, <laughs> no, I don't. I I'm don't. still listening to you. No, I don't hate you. Fantastic. <laughs> Ophelia, thank you very much for Take calling care. and being a good sport. Bye-bye. 08459 555. Uh, the, the sauna's going to help me sleep, is it? I need something. If you've got any tips, you can text them in. 81333. Start your text 3CR or call in. 08459 455 555. I don't really hate Ophelia. Uh, she was a, the, an excellent sport and a lovely caller. It, it, uh, op- that much um, optimism at uh, quarter to eight in the morning. It's, uh, I, I struggle with that. Uh, it is a quarter to eight in the morning. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's 7.45, Tuesday the 31st of July. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Hemel Hempstead teenager Max Whitlock has won an Olympic bronze medal in the team gymnastics. The 19-year-old helped Team GB to a shock third place, the first team medal in the sport in 100 years. The family of a grandmother who died at the QE2 hospital in Welling Garden City after being denied food and water for a week are thought to be considering legal action. Joan Pataldi died in September 2009 after being admitted for a hip operation. In sport, Watford have confirmed seven new signings, including former Arsenal goalkeeper Manuel Almunia and QPR defender Fitzhall. The weather for beds, hearts and bucks is not great today. I I do apologise. Misty, with patchy rain or drizzle, becoming drier and a little brighter later. The day's maximum temperature is 19 degrees Celsius. Coming up, we hear from a couple from Bedfordshire who say they are appalled that a cat they've been looking after appears to have been shot by an air rifle. Our reporter has been to meet them. Your sleep tips are coming in thick and fast. Thank you very much. 81333. Start your text 3CR. Or do call in. It's nice to have a talk, isn't it? 08459 555 is the phone number. Now, this is, uh, this is an incredible story. Two animal lovers from uh, Luton have been left shocked and disgusted after finding the stray cat they've been feeding had been shot. John and Julie Ryder from Round Green took the cat to the vets after noticing it was limping. They were horrified when the vet said the root of the problem was an air rifle pellet lodged under its front leg. Our reporter Jenna Benson went to meet Julie to find out more. He's been coming around, well, he's been around the area for a couple of years 
and um, it's been about the last four or five months I've noticed he's, he's got quite skinny. So I started feeding him, as you would. You don't want to see him go hungry. And then slowly over time, I was able to stroke him when I was feeding him. And now he's slowly coming into the house. And yeah, that, that's it. He's progressing into the house <laughs> more than anything. And a couple of weeks ago, you noticed that he wasn't walking so well. And you thought he must have an injury. Yes, he was limping for a little while. And we thought he might have had a bite. So we thought, well, nature, you just heal it. As the days went on, it gradually got worse. And then um, last Thursday, we saw him and he couldn't put any weight down. He was holding it up and he was in a sorrowful state. So we waited until he came in and pinched the rest of the cat's foods and uh, shut the door and tried to grab him. (laughs) And being responsible pet owners and lovers of cats as well, you Mm. did the right thing and you took him to the vets. Well, I think anybody would. And well, normally, I would hope anybody would. Because you don't want to see any animal in pain. It's it's just not wrong. <laughs> and it wasn't a broken leg. What did the vet no, say? Um, the vet reckoned it was a shot pellet because she um, moved all his leg around, wasn't broken, wasn't dislocated. And then on her examination, she felt um, something hard and she was having a good old feel. And she said, I think he's been shot. It feels like a shot pellet. And I couldn't believe what she was saying. I thought, who in their right mind would go around shooting a defenceless animal? And this is something that the vet said was becoming more and more common. Yes, they've had quite a few in recently, um, shot pellets. Um, so, yeah, the people who have got them are just not responsible and shouldn't be allowed them. So I don't agree with guns anyway, whether they're pellets or proper guns. Now, Midnight's going back into the vets tomorrow morning. He is, yes. He's having an operation. He is. He's going to be castrated. Then he's going to be microchipped, he's having blood tests, he's having x-rays to find, um, to make sure that it's the pellet and where, obviously, they can remove it. And I'm hoping everything will go all right, and then we can bring him back, let him recoup at home, and then once he's fit and well, then we can release him back out into his glorious habitat. <laughs> this must make you worry about the other cats that you have in your home as well, because, obviously, you want your pets to feel safe at home, and when you let them out in the garden, you want them to know that they have a safe area to play in and, and to be out you do, in. really. But hearing that somebody's shot the stray cat that you found... Mm, sickening. Absolutely sickening. It doesn't make any difference whether it's ours or someone else's. People sh- still shouldn't do that. It's just not on. Why would you do that? Where's... I don't understand... <clears throat> excuse me. I don't understand where the, where the fun would be in doing that. Where's the buzz? You know, some of the, the, the naughty things that people do, the, 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 the graffiti, I don't approve of it. I can so- sort of see how that might be an exp- you know, expression of individuality and frustration. Shooting a cat? Really? You can see a picture of Midnight the Cat on the BBC Facebook page. Just go to facebook.com and search for BBC Three Counties Radio and have a look there. Now, let's turn our attention to the grandmother who died in a Hertfordshire hospital after being denied food and water for a week. Joan Patoldi died in September 2009 after being admitted to the QE2 hospital in Welland Garden City for a hip operation. The 76-year-old was put on a nil-by-mouth diet, meaning she couldn't eat anything before the operation. The surgery was delayed several times. One week on, she still hadn't eaten or had her operation. Tragically, she never recovered. Earlier on in the show, I spoke to Peter Gibson from East and North Hertfordshire NHS Trust. I'm not going to defend what happened back down in, back in 2009, but the problem we had back then was that the unit that does it also did emergencies. 
uh, you know, real emergency, life-saving, trauma, crash, you know, car crashes, that sort of thing. And the problem was it kept getting cancelled because of other operations. Now, she wasn't a drip, so she was hydrated, but they did keep her nil by mouth, which today wouldn't happen. It's just incredible, isn't it? Really? The hospital are led to believe that the family are considering legal action against the trust. Let's talk now to Neil Duncan Jordan from the National Pensioners uh, Convention. Good morning, Neil. Morning, Ian. What a story. Is this the state of care for the elderly? Is it as, as dire as it seems, Neil? Uh, it appears so, doesn't it? I mean, it's not every hospital ward and it's not every hospital and it's not every older patient that faces this sort of problem. But it is quite... Uh, uh, often that we hear stories like this emanating from across our NHS and it's largely due to the fact that we've lost the idea about caring for older people in ca- in hospital. It seems that a lot of the staff are uh, probably against their wishes even, asked to do other duties rather than talk to people, look after people, comb their hair, feed them, make sure they've got enough to drink and so on. We've sort of moved away from the basics, if you like. I guess part of the problem there, you talk about um, you know combing their hair and, and just having a chat, even a chat a couple of minutes a day makes a big difference, I know that. Uh, I just, I guess they just don't have the time to do these things anymore, which is sad, isn't it? Yeah, and, and, and the nursing profession quite rightly would say that they'd love to do it but they've got all these other administrative tasks that they've got to do i think we've got to look at all that we've got to make sure that those going into the profession want to be there and Mm. are professionals with a sort of vocational attitude if you like we've got to make sure that they're properly trained but we've also got to put the patient first and the admin second we've got to make sure that Older people in particular, the ones who often fall through the net, you know, they may not be the most articulate, they might feel a bit frightened or whatever in certain situations, Uh, they might be ignored. Some uh, hospitals have got poor culture when it comes to dealing with older people. These are the ones that get put to the back of the queue. And it would be great if we said this was just an isolated incident, but it isn't. There's been many investigations and inquiries into the way in which older people are treated in hospital, uh, and they're pretty shocking. Surely the culture has gone... And by the way, I'm not knocking the NHS. I love the NHS, and I I took my little boy in yesterday, and they were amazing, and uh, I have taken my mum in for various things, and for the most part, they've been amazing. But even with my mum, who's not particularly old, but I have kind of seen things where you kind of think, I don't know if that's actually appropriate, if they're paying her the attention that she deserves. But uh, for the most part, I'm a big fan. But has the culture gone too far this way? Is is there anything that we can do, Neil, to kind of swing it back so that the people come first? Yeah, I mean, a, a few months ago, the National Pensions Convention launched a dignity code, which was a sort of set of a, a very easily understandable terms. What was acceptable behaviour, what wasn't acceptable behaviour in a care setting. The care minister, Paul Burstow, uh, signed up to that code. That code is now been mentioned in the white paper that came out on social care a couple of weeks ago. So we hope that we're slowly moving forward so that staff and patients in care would get to know what was right, what was wrong. It does sound a bit strange that we have to tell people uh, uh, to be nice, to be caring, to treat people with dignity, but we've got to start there because obviously somewhere along the line we've lost it. Neil Duncan Jordan from the National Pensioners Convention, thank you very much for that. And, and please don't think I'm in any way bashing the NHS. I think it's brilliant. For the most part, I think it's absolutely brilliant. And, and most of the uh, encounters I've had with it have been fantastic. But I've seen a few things that have kind of made me go, ooh, 
and I've I had occasion to take a, a nurse or someone to one side and say, just can I just say, I don't think that that was particularly uh, appropriate. But um, an incredible tragic story there. Uh, your tips. We've got a tip here about sleeping from Faye. Now, Faye, this is absolutely no use to anyone except for you. Faye has texted in, my sleep tip, I lay my head on the pillow, close my eyes and think the word sleep and within 30 seconds I'm asleep. Easy. Now, <laughs> what use is that? I- I'm going to try it, Faye, and if it doesn't work this evening, boy, oh boy, you're in trouble. We have your details. I should be coming round. Uh, and we've got an email from Sue, 3CR at bbc.co.uk. I'm loving the Olympics. One pleasure is seeing our 13-year-old, uh, 13-year-old son take an interest in the archery, which he now wants to take up, having tried it a few times before. I tried archery once. It, it's brilliant, but enough art. It looks easy. Just pull that back and, and fire off. Those, the proper bows are really heavy, and they're massive. Uh, he spent the afternoon, says Sue, watching the gymnasts, a sport he used to pursue, but gave up when he had to start serious training for bigger competitions. He wasn't ready for it, but actually felt a pang of regret yesterday. If the, well, then she goes off on a slight tangent, I'm not sure I agree with. If hosting the games can encourage kids away from the computer game culture uh, that we have, I think it's great. I, I think there's room for both. I think there's room for both things. If you've seen, if you've kind of, um, like me, been turned on to sport by the olympics and it'll probably go by the end when it, you know the end of the summer i'll, I'll be bored of sport again but i've I, I as someone who's not a fan of sport in the slightest i've surprised myself by watching more sport at the weekend than i've watched in the last five or ten years easily if like me you're a bit of a you know you, you're not a fan of sport but you've been swung round give me a call 08459 455 555 and if you've been playing about on with the bbc or on the radio or with the red button and you found something a sport that you hadn't even heard of or weren't particularly interested in uh, then can you give me a call and let me know what it is maybe you think there's something that's that's people haven't really picked up on and noticed i did watch some of the beach volleyball the other day with my two and a half year old boy and i watched i, I turned it off after about two minutes because it felt inappropriate because it is it is just mucky, isn't it? It is mucky. It's not really, let's be honest, here. And I don't want to, you know, knock the hard work that those ladies, and I believe gentlemen play it as well. It's not really a sport, is it? It's, it's just you dress up a bit sexy and you kind of, you know, flounce around and hope that your picture is taken at an inappropriate moment. It's not proper sport, is it? So I, I, I didn't watch it. I watched two minutes with my boy, and I thought, this feels a bit weird. This feels like watching Baywatch with him or something. It's, this is not appropriate. So we, we went and we found some swimming, because he's, he's loving watching the swimming, but particularly when the camera's underwater. He just, for, for some reason, he finds that hysterical. I don't quite get what the joke is, but he loves it. 08459 455 555. Have you been turned on to sport where perhaps you wouldn't really watch it before? Coming up in the last hour of the show, I will go through these uh, tips that the Mirror give out for sleeping. And any tips that you've got, 08459 455 555. More on Max Whitlock's amazing success at the Olympics. All of that after the news with Simon. Good morning, dear listener. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Here until nine o'clock... Uh, until uh, and when Jonathan Vernon Smith will come in and take over, I think he's going to pop in in about ten fifteen minutes. I really wish you could hear the conversations that we have off air, Jonathan and I, because he's he's it turns out he's very well spoken already. Potty mouth in real life, oh, very very potty mouth. In the next hour of the show, we will be talking uh, more about these sleeping tips. If you've got any sleeping tips. 
I'll go through the, some of the, the best ones in this, this um, article and the, the, the Daily Mirror. A lot of them are pretty useless. I'm struggling with my sleeping, so any tips you've got, 08459 455 555. Also, later on in the show, we'll be talking to a man who collects Olympic badges. I know, I know, interesting, isn't it? What do you collect? Are you, are you a collector or do you think it's a little bit weird? I like collecting things. What have you got? What's, what, what's your collection and what's the proudest thing in your collection? Phone up. Be proud. I won't laugh. I'll be on your side. I shall be patting you on the back, metaphorically. 08459 455 555. You can, of course, text me 81333. Start your text 3CR or you can email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. On FM, AM and online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, I'm, I missed the gymnastics yesterday. I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to go back and have a look because apparently it was uh, fantastic. Uh, Hemel Hempstead teenager Max Whitlock has won an Olympic bronze medal in the teen gymnastics. The 19-year-old helped Team GB to a shock third place, the first team medal in the sport in 100 years. Whitlock spoke of what the achievement meant to him. We had no expectancies going into this competition. We just wanted to go in there, enjoy it, have fun. That's what we said to each other before the competition and just... Just go out there and do our best, really. We made history coming into the team final and to get a bronze medal. That is, is unbelievable for us all, so it's just incredible. I love it. He's so humble about it. Oh, we weren't expecting to get one. It's unbelievable. Fantastic. Listen, if I won a medal, the I'd be all over the place. You wouldn't be able to shut me up. Uh, Max did say that the celebrations would have to go on hold for a little while. Well, I've got the pummel final to um, coming up on Sunday, so I've got to be sensible up till then, and then... Um, yeah, I think I might have um, a burger or two in there. Uh, just really enjoy it. Um, go out and celebrate. Have just Basically, I can eat what I want then as well, really, so I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, bless him. He's so focused on his training that his idea of, of going crazy and throwing caution to the wind is a burger. That, that's dedication, isn't it? Uh, Scott Han is Max's coach. Good morning, Scott. Morning. How are you feeling this morning? Um, <clears throat> over the moon, as you can probably imagine. Yeah, you must be so proud. Uh, massively. Unbelievably proud. I mean, all the years of hard work have finally paid off, and, you know, what an achievement. Now, he's 19. W- what, what age did Max start training in gymnastics? So, I know Max started training when he was very young. Um, I think he was about three years old. Um, wow. Yeah, and he started in some, you know, like, development groups. Um, started off with recreational-type gymnastics, you know, just for fun. Um, and then very quickly, uh, some of the talent coaches picked him out and uh, realised he had massive potential. Um, and it started from there. Scott, go off on a slight tangent. My little boy is two and a half. He's excellent at doing roly-polies down hills. Is, is that a good <laughs> sign? Is that the sort of thing you'd be looking at? Oh, that's a massive, that's a very positive sign. Get him in the gym. <laughs> I'm totally going to do it now. I'm going to be one of those tiger dads. <laughs> Did you think that they could, they could do it and they could win a medal? There was always a part of me that thought that there was a chance, um, although it was going to be a very, very difficult competition. Uh, and like, like Max said, their, their goal was just to make a team final, which they did. And that was history in the making in itself. Um, you know, but to go out and, and I mean, they, they were amazing. We, you know, we, we, as you probably tell by my voice, there was quite a lot of screaming going on. And, <laughs> well, yeah, and I'm, guessing, I'm guessing you were there in the arena where you were, it was all taking place. Absolutely, yeah, I wouldn't have missed it for the world. And what the atmosphere must have been incredible, though, when it, it, it you know, they were, it, they were obviously doing so well. 
I can't even begin to explain to you the, uh, mm. the support from the British public in this competition. You know, um, the, there was so many, so so much um, support. The crowd were going absolutely ballistic. I've never experienced anything like it in my life at, at any event, really, let alone a gymnastics competition. Slightly cruel to have the silver taken away, wasn't it? It was a little bit disappointing, um, obviously. Um, you know, I think if we'd have just got the bronze in the first place, you know, we'd have been over the moon. We we, we are over the moon. Um, but to have that silver dangled in our face and taken away was a little bit uh, disappointing, yeah. How common is it for, for athletes and gymnasts to appeal final <laughs> scores like that? Because I always thought that the judge's decision was final and you went by that. Well, it depends on, on um, what aspect of the judging it is. Because you can have, you've, you've got the, um, the deductions, if you like. Uh, the execution, you can't argue that. That's the, the judge's decision. But when it's down to start value, you can appeal because if the judges do get it wrong, and it does happen from time to mm. time, you know, you can show and you can sometimes have video evidence um, that they've made made the wrong decision and it goes to the jury of appeal. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's not massively common, but it does happen. <laughs> Well, we're listening to Max there, and I uh, bless him, you know, he's 19, and I, I love the way that, the, the fact that he's, he's going to go crazy by having a burger or something. He's obviously very <laughs> focused. What, what is he like as a young man? Max is uh, one of the, um, you know, uh, most likeable, calm, level-headed, mm. focused young lads that I've ever, you know, had the pleasure of working with. Um, he's going to go far in life no matter what he does because he's just so, so focused. Whatever he wants to do, he puts his mind to it. Um, but he's very humble at the same time. He's not, you know, arrogant in any, any sort of way. Uh, he knows what he's got to do and he gets on and does it. Humble is, is the, 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 the bang on there. That's the exact word because you, you listen to him in those clips going, well, you know, I've, I've won a bronze and it's really exciting. I would, you, you wouldn't be able to shut me up, Scott. I'd be all over the place waving <laughs> in everyone's face. Uh, what, what's next for him? Well, um, that's a good question. Obviously, the next four years is the road to Rio de Janeiro, and the target is to win an all-around medal uh, and to come back with the pommel title um, and anything else along the way as well. Um, but in the meantime, obviously, every year is a world championships and uh, a European team championships and a European individual championships. So it, it's got all of that. Uh, but I think for the next few months, he's going to have a bit of a down period, as you can probably imagine. Mm. Scott, some people might say that, that Max has, has missed out uh, on his childhood because he's obviously put in so many hours of work. How would you react to that? Well, I would just explain that, you know, Max has um, he got a very, very stable life. He's, he enjoys holidays with his parents at least twice a year. Uh, he's got a lovely young girlfriend that he's, um, you know, got a, a great relationship with and she understands the sport massively, you know, and Max hasn't missed out on a single thing. He's a very, very happy, content lad. Uh, and I know that he wouldn't change anything for the world. Scott, listen, congratulations. Go off and celebrate. Well done. Scott Hand there, who, who coaches uh, Max Whitlock, part of uh, Team GB, who helped um, win an Olympic bronze medal. First medal in gymnastics, team, team uh, medal in gymnastics in 100 years. That's some achievement, isn't it? He's 19 years old. He's sorted for life, isn't he? Um, we've got Lara in Milton Keynes. Good morning, Lara. Morning, how are you? I'm all right. I'm tired, Lara. I'm tired. I'm not sleeping well. Can you help me? Absolutely. Um, Well, funny enough, I read this tip on the morning in the morning paper when I was travelling to London every morning a few years back, 
And I thought, funny for them putting this on the paper, in the paper for morning commuters to read, because yeah. it does put you, you actually want to sleep after that. So some of the tip was there. Imagine yourself surrounded, surrounded by people either on the train or just in the room, yawning people. And if you, they say, if you're compassionate enough, you tend to yawn back. And when you yawn back, you do want to sleep. You're actually so I, making me yawn now. You're genuinely actually, doing it. When, when you, seriously, when you try that, and you have, even if it's three, four people around, and I was looking at these commuters, and I didn't have to imagine them because they were actually yawning. It was 7 o'clock in the morning, and we were all on the train. So this tip I still use every time I, it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, I, I, don't, I, I can't go to sleep. But if that doesn't work... I have another one for you, and that does work all the time. You tell, you tell yourself you have to take deep breath because this one does work. And this is power of thought, I suppose. And you, you never get to the 10 times breathe, um, breathing because on the 7th or 8th, you do fall asleep. Hang on a second. So you're saying take deep breaths and you'll, you'll be asleep by the 7th breath? About that time, yes. It, do, it does work every time. I, I, I never, seriously, never, in about five years' time, yeah. I never remember myself waking waking up or not falling asleep and telling myself, oh, it didn't work. It does work, but it has to be really, really deep breath. Okay. I'm going to give all these a go to tonight. I'm totally giving these a go. The, the advice I got last week about chicken pox was amazing, so I'm going to try this. Laura, I'm looking at these tips in the Daily Mirror. It, do, do you sleep with your window open or shut? Absolutely open. Yes. Absolutely open. Well done, I agree. I, the arg- if my wife and I ever get divorced, it will be about whether the window should be open or shut at night. I think the window should be wide open and it should be really cold in the room. And she wants she wants the window shut. She wants the heating on. She wants a thick duvet. I can't stand it, Lara. Well, I think you have to wait a few years when she when she starts getting hot. Yes, well, <laughs> well, my tip is open her open your part of the window and shut hers. That will work. Lara, thank you very much indeed. I'm not quite sure. This, this breathing, deep breathing, and then by the, by the seventh one, you'll be asleep. I'm not sure. Um, but thank you for that. Um, lavender oil. I've tr- Lucy in Sundon Park, I've tried the lavender oil. Put a few drops in your bath and on the pillow. You'll be out like a light. Make sure the room is dark too. Failing that, watch the Olympics. It's so boring, Lucy. I've got an eye mask. I've got an eye... I like the eye mask. That helps. Um... And uh, we were talking earlier on about um, cats being shot. A terrible story. This cat being shot by uh, a pellet. Jill says, My sister-in-law's cat was shot in the face by a shotgun pellet in Hitchin. Thankfully survived. I don't get, wh- where's, I don't get what the kick is out of doing that. Why, why would you do that? Where's the, where's, the, where's the fun in shooting a cat? Cats, as we, you know, cats are really... Tra- all cats will come up to you. There's no, there's no fun in that. Well, wow. oh eight four five nine four double five five double five eight fifteen. Beds, hearts, and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Tuesday, the thirty first of July. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Hemel Hempstead teenager Max Whitlock has won an Olympic bronze medal in the team gymnastics. The nineteen-year-old helps Team GB to a shock third place, the first team medal in the sport in one hundred years. The family of a grandmother who died at the QE2 hospital in Welling Garden City after being denied food and water for a week are thought to be considering legal action. Joan Petoldi died in September 2009 after being admitted for a hip operation. 
In sport, Watford have confirmed seven new signings, including former Arsenal goalkeeper Manuel Almunia and QPR defender Fitzhall. We'll have a full sports bulletin with Simon in 15 minutes, and we'll have weather shortly with Jim Bacon. Uh, and coming up, we'll catch up with Luke Ashmead, who'll be heading to the Lee Valley Whitewater Centre today. Jonathan Vernon-Smith is in the studio with me, and I can see that Jonathan likes coffee, and he likes it with milk, but he doesn't like sugar. And I know that because he's got his own mug printed up... <laughs> With his very strict <laughs> dietary requirements. I don't like people to mess it up. And there's, and there's a picture. Why have you got a picture of Jeremy Kyle on the front? Oh, that's you. I do apologise. There, <laughs> there is a slight similarity, isn't there? A little similarity. You've got, you've got slightly more class than Jeremy, but there is a... If you had a strong side parting, you could be his, be his standard. <laughs> you reckon, do you? Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks very much. And the act is obviously very similar. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Oh dear. How are right. you this morning, my love? Are you good? Well, I'm, well, I'm all right. I was okay. Oh dear. Well, I'm okay. You, you, are you all right? You did call me you Marlon Dingle t- last <laughs> You look a bit tired. For two and a half hours sleep. Yes. That's why. Oh, gosh. But, (laughs) oh, gosh, not interested. (laughs) Anyway, my show after nine. Yes, back to me. Coming up after nine, in fact, you're going to like today. Oh. Do you know why? Let me just ask you the question. Yes. Should abuse on the internet be taken seriously? Yes, it should. They should not be allowed access to computers and they should be locked up. Oh, okay. Well, social media is in the news again for all the wrong reasons after the British diver Tom Daly was abused on Twitter. Were you following this? This was horrible. I, I looked at this guy's feed last night. What an obnoxious person. Uh, Tom Daly had just come fourth in his synchronised event when he received a message telling him he'd let down his father, who died last year from brain cancer. Action has been taken in the past against abuse on social media sites. Earlier this year, a student in Wales was sentenced to 56 days in prison for posting racially offensive comments about the footballer uh, Fabrice Muamba. Well, from nine this morning, I want to hear your views on this. Should abuse on the internet be taken seriously Mm. so i guess there is the counter argument that if you put yourself out there on twitter twitter is like standing on a stage isn't it really it's saying oh yes well i'm going to say interesting things and you should follow me because i'm an interesting person and if somebody then decides to chuck a tomato at you then do you really have the right to have that person imprisoned or, or to get in trouble for but it. But there are rotten tomatoes and there are tins of tomatoes. And what that lad... Oh, that was quite good, actually. You can use that. But what that lad, lad said uh, the, to Tom was, was, was a tin of tomatoes. It was horrible. I have had... Listen, I, I, I go on Twitter and people can say that they think a show I do is rubbish or I look silly or whatever. That's fine. I had, uh, about a year ago, this person sending me hundreds of tweets and my wife saying horrible horrible things about my little boy it was two years old horrible horrible things uh, and every time i block him he would just set up a new account and he did it about he set up about 150 accounts i got in touch with twitter and they said well actually he's not contravening our rules i said well this, you think this stuff is acceptable the police wouldn't do anything it was awful the stuff he was saying i said lock him up Throw away the key. Well, I'd like to hear your views. Perhaps you've been the victim yourself on Facebook of some kind of abuse. Perhaps you are on Twitter and you've you've received an offensive tweet. Do you think it should be taken seriously, perhaps more seriously than it is? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. And what should be done with this young man who has abused Tom Daly? What should the mm. punishment be? Should it be taken seriously? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. I tell you what, you won't get is you won't get people who do this this bullying phoning up because they're cowards they're all cowards hiding behind pseudonyms and and fake identities but there may be somebody who's been accused of it Mm. who just felt that they were 
you know, exercising their right to free speech. Yeah, possibly. And, and perhaps people are too sensitive, and people say, oh, you can't say that to me, that's horrible, mm. when in fact they're just stating their opinion on something. 08459 455 555. Should abuse on the internet be taken seriously? It's the big phone-in at nine. Well, I've just been handed a sheet of paper um, from the production team. It says, get Jonathan Vernon Smith out as quickly as <laughs> possible. Okay, <laughs> so we shall do that. Thank you, Jonathan. <laughs> See you later on. Uh, worth a listen at nine o'clock, and I know we've got some, some new people listening who have followed me from elsewhere, and we've also got people listening, um, you know, all, all over the place. Stick around for JVS at nine o'clock. It really is. It, it, it's cracking. It's one of my favourite shows at the moment. But now, it was day two of the Olympic slalom competition at Hertfordshire's Lee Valley Whitewater Centre yesterday. Bedford's Etienne Stott, partnered by Tim Bailey in their two-man canoe, qualified for the semi-finals, finishing the day in fourth place and in good shape ahead of Thursday's finale. Well, I mean, it was exciting, but we were so... We had a real... Uh careful preparation we had uh, anticipated quite a lot as to how, what it would be like and really the thing that doesn't change is what you're trying to do out there on the river you've just got to look where you're going try and get the boat where you want to go and that's that doesn't change no matter what race and we were really really serious about what we did today we were very determined and that's what pulled us through i think our olympic reporter luke ashmead has, has got his sleeping bag and is, is pretty much living uh, in lee valley whitewater center G- uh, good morning luke yeah not in the water it's not pleasant in there Okay, it's, it's not good. You're not a, a swimmer yourself, then? Not for sleeping, right? No, not, not when I'm sleeping. No, right. not good for sleeping. I'm not, I'm, not that, I'm not that comfortable in the water, either. I actually went down the, the course before the Olympians got there, um, three or four months before, in a raft. And, uh, nah. Nah. Luke, is your mouth anywhere near your microphone? <laughs> Uh, it always helps if I pick up the right... Oh, Luke, everyone's here with panic faces. Why, why can't we hear him? Why can't we hear him? You've, you've now got the I right am so sorry. <laughs> the I've got here at the two BBC. microphones. <laughs> All right, and there's a, Luke, there's a slight delay, so I'm going to persevere. Uh, how has it been out there so far? Uh, it's been amazing. <laughs> what, what's been the highlight for you? Luke? Have we lost him? Well, there we, there we go. That's, that's our, our slick reporting there with Luke Ashmey. We'll, we'll try and get more, bless him. He's, he's been sent out all this way to the uh, Lee, Lee Valley White Water Centre yes, uh, Centre in, uh, in Hertfordshire, and all we got was, was him talking into the wrong microphone, and uh, then disappearing. Oh, bless him. We'll see if we can get him back. I'm keen to find out what's going on there. A quick look at the front pages of the newspapers while we... Um, oh, no, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll show you some of these, tell you some of these um, sleep tips. This is in the Daily Mirror. One of the sleep tips... Visit the loo every 15 minutes in the hour before going to bed, whether you need to or not. I do get up... I, I am getting old, and I've, I've been checked out. There's nothing wrong with me. But some nights I can get up to go for a wee four or five times. That's not, that's not good. That's not good. I need to kind of stop drinking tea at night. That's the thing. Um... Fit blackout blinds to ensure total darkness. And then the next one is, you need light to boost your internal body clock. Invest in a dawn simulator clock. Uh, I'm not convinced. During cold weather, don't warm up the bed. Ensure you are warmer than the bed. I'll agree with that one. I do like a nice cold bed. Judith in Bigglesway. Judith, have you got any tips for me on, on getting to sleep? Well, I always, I do, before I get in bed, I always say, thank the Lord, thank God, thank Jesus. They're all the same people, but I always thank and hope everybody lives through the night and say, look after my, which are like three children, they're, well, children, grown-ups, 
and I thank the Lord that the Lord looks after all of them and everybody else in this world. That's I one way of doing it. Now, Judith, Judith, listen, because you've, you've such, I'm not particularly religious, so that would be inappropriate, but what I do do sometimes, and what I find very comforting, is if I've had a really rotten day, mm. is I get in bed and I think of three things that mm. I'm grateful for, do a little gratitude list, three things that I'm grateful for. Mm. And if you can think of those three things, and it's easy, because I've got kids as well, I've got kids, I've got a wife, I've got a job, you know, I've got health. Yeah. So if you can think of three little things that you're grateful for, that's a great way to, to, to help yourself get off. Yeah, I take ten deep breaths. Okay, here we go. When I'm laying down. Yeah. I take ten, and then I count, I lay down, get comfortable, and then I count to twenty, yeah. and then, well, I yeah, I've counted about twice, three times, and that sends me off to sleep then, and now I do st- sleep a lot, I'm an early riser, I can be up at half past two. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Half past two in the morning? Yes. What? Yes, mate. Yes, and I mean that. Why would you wake up? Why, and do you get up and then start your day then? Well, you can't do a lot up as two, can you? Little jobs, get the veg and, and um, putter around the house and do little tiny, watch telly or listen to the radio, yeah. What's, little things. What time, Judith, do you go to sleep then? If you wake up at half two, what time are you going to sleep? About, I'll go to bed between ten and eleven. So Eleven is the latest, and then I don't sleep quite so well if I go that little bit later. So you're getting like three and a half, four hours sleep a yeah, night? Yeah, But yeah. yeah, Judith, you sound pretty much with it and well, focused. How is that possible? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Wow. And I'm not a wicked person, because if somebody wanted me... Never suggested that. No, I, no, I, d- I didn't say that. Sorry, Steve. No, that's all right. I, 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 well, I would never think you're a wicked person. You sound like a lovely person, Judith. Thank you so much for your tips, and I'm I'm amazed. Gets up at half past two in the morning. There's not a lot on telly at half past two in the morning. Trust me, I've been there. There's not a lot. Um, Highlights from Teletext, although I think they've stopped that now, haven't they? Judith, thank you so much for that. Wow. Uh, I've got some... um, Esther says, uh, Ian, sometimes when I can't sleep, I talk to myself. It works. I get so bored, it knocks me out. By the way, your positiveness is refreshing. I'd never been called positive before. Oh, that's nice. It's normally the opposite. Uh, Marilyn says, uh, I watch telly in bed. I put it on sleep timer and I never finish watching as I'm asleep. Or try bedroom gymnastics. Oh, no, no, no. Steady on. We haven't got a TV in our room. Uh, We got rid of it about four years ago. It was the best thing I ever did. We don't really watch much TV now. We'll talk about that tomorrow. Oh, eight four five nine four double five five double five. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Simon. Uh, it's 8.35. Uh, Jonathan Vernon-Smith will be on at 9 o'clock. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, when you think of the Olympics, you think of sport. Uh, or you might think of Paul McCartney. I don't know. But there are many people who will be collecting thousands of of Olympic pins, these little badges. Anthony Drexler from St Albans is one of them. He's a pin ambassador at the 2012 Games and is an organiser for the British Group of Collectors. Good morning, Anthony. Good morning. These pins, these are these these little badges, aren't they? That's right, yep. What do you have to do as a pin ambassador? Well, I'm trying to... I'm working inside the Olympic Park. There is a dedicated pin trading centre that's been organised by Coca-Cola where people can come along and trade their pins and my my job is to try and get encourage people who've got no idea what this hobby's about to come in give it a try 
start collecting a few pins and get them on their lanyards. So, we, oh, I, I love the word lanyard. Is it, yeah. is, is it um, like when I used to tr- trade panini stickers, people will have, like, doubles, and they'll come in and say, well, I've got three of these, and I'll swap you one of these for two of those. Is it that kind of thing? Exactly that. But instead of Wayne Rooney's and Thierry Henry's, we've got the staff pin for the torchbearer, and we're swapping it for a regional pin from the East Midlands. OK, let's start with you first, Anthony. How many pins have you got personally? Uh, total, I've got about 12,000 different ones. What? And, and that, <laughs> are they all different? They're all different, yeah, yeah. That's, am- that, that, that's over five Olympics now. OK, that's still an amazing amount. Do you have a special pin room in your house? Where do you keep them all? Oh, they're everywhere. My wife, uh... <laughs> If she never saw another pin again, it'd be too soon. I, I was going to ask if you were married and, and what she thought about. Do you, do you get, like, another one come through the post? I, I collect records and stuff like that, and when another record comes through the post, my wife just looks at me and says, oh, for goodness sakes, really? Do, 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 does she put up with it, your missus? She, she's very good, yeah. She's very very patient. Uh, Loma was getting six, seven pins through the post on a daily basis, so she's been fantastic. 12,000. Why do you collect them, Anthony? What do you get out of it? Well... As people have asked me that a lot this week, and I get to talk to people. I talk to volunteers, games makers. I talk to members of staff, people of members of the public. Now, I wouldn't have talked to 95% of those people but for the pin trading. It gets people talking. And is this something that's increasing in popularity? You said there's a, there's a, a, a sort of stand there where people can go and, and trade things. How, how many people are you getting turning up to, to trade these pins? Oh, yesterday, I think, I don't know the exact number, but... To, to, Stick my finger in the air. I reckon we must have four or five thousand people come through the door yesterday. It's a lovely place, especially today on such a wet day. Someone yeah. can come and keep dry. This isn't well, yeah, ah, exactly. That's the that's the, the thing. What is out of your twelve thousand? What is your yep. number one, your prized possession, the one you'd never part with? Oh, there's lots of them. Uh, I think, I want, listen, the, the house, is on, Anthony. The house is on fire. You can only right. save one pin. Which one are you going to grab? Oh no, I'm going to grab my bag from London. F- from I'm going to grab the bag. The, the the bag? Oh, yeah, we've got bags to put them all in. So each bag's got sort of a few hundred. So at least I'd take that. You're, che- you're cheating there, Anthony. Uh, Anthony, listen, thank you very much. There's Anthony Drexler, who is uh, a pin ambassador, and he collects pins. What what do you collect? We've got 20 minutes or so of the show. What things do you collect? I collect re- records. It was very specific. I won't go into my geeky details of it, but I collect very specific uh, records. Uh, and I enjoy it, because it, uh, I think... Is, is this right? I think it's a man thing, collecting. I think men like statistics, lists, and collecting. I don't think women do it. I think women see men... Co- and I could be wrong, and if I'm wrong, 08459 455 555, or you can text 81333, start your text 3CR. I think women look at men's collections and kind of, like, scratch their head and don't understand it. My wife certainly doesn't understand it. I would never dare tell her how much I spent. Re- would never tell her how much I spent on records. Oh! <laughs> my money as well, I'd get in terrible trouble. But uh, I think it's, it's a man thing. I'm not sure. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if uh, you want to give us a call on that. Now, we tried to speak to Luke Ashmead earlier on, um, who is at uh, Hertfordshire's Lee Valley White Water Centre, but for some reason he bottled it. Luke, are you, are you back? <laughs> yes, I did not bottle it, you cheeky so and so, no. <laughs> Where did you go? We were talking, then you disappeared once you picked up the right microphone. Techn- <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to be reminded of that on several occasions, I imagine. Oh, yes. Um, if you saw what I had in front of me, you would under... No, you wouldn't. No, no. Um, uh, I'm here. I'm in place. No problems. Everything's okay. Good. Okay. Well, so tell us what's, what's going on down there today, Luke. What, what can we expect to see today? 
Uh, it's going to be the first medals today in uh, the uh, C1 event, which is for the uninitiated. It's a single man canoe. In this uh, Olympic event, the canoe slalom, there are uh, the, uh, two canoe events, the canoe, the C1, the uh, single man canoe, the C2, which is a two man canoe, the K1, uh, for both, both men and women. So those are the four events. Today is the semi-finals, uh, followed closely by the finals of the C1 event. So quite simply, before the, in the heats, you used to, the, uh, paddlers would have two runs down the course, a 300 meter course with, uh, 22 gates, trying to negotiate them, uh, with the, uh, water gushing down very, very quickly. Um, today's semi-final, they get one shot. One shot at it. That time will be recorded, and the top six will go through to the afternoon's final. Wow. If they mess that up, that's it. They're out. That's it. That's it. And there are situ- obviously there are penalties. Yeah. Like in, like in any sport of this type, you know, whether it be um, gymnastics or, or horse riding or whatever, there are always penalties if you miss and don't do the right things. For, for canoe slalom, there are two types of penalty. Uh, the, the first penalty is a two-second penalty, and that's if you've uh, ever seen canoe slalom, you'll see the gates hanging down yeah. from the wires that the paddlers have to go through. If they touch those gates with any part of their body uh, or their paddle, or even in some cases <laughs> their canoe or kayak, that's a two-second penalty, and they can accrue, uh, you know, they can maybe have eight, ten, twelve penal- uh, penal- uh, penalty seconds. If they miss a gate or going it in the wrong direction, that's a 50-second penalty, and that's it, they're gone. Because wow. there's no way that they would be able to live with that. So, missing a gate or going through it in the wrong direction. When I say going through it in the wrong direction, I mean some of the gates that are on the course, you have to go past and then fight your way back upstream. They're called upstream gates. Um, and uh, if you do them in the wrong direction, but that's pretty much it. Uh, Luke, are we in line for any medals? Are we going to win anything? We've got a very good chance of a medal. Uh, uh, paddling today, David Florence uh, is uh, the silver medalist from Beijing. He's, uh, he's a Brit, Team GB. He's also taking part in the C2 event that was uh, happening yesterday. Very good chance today of a medal. If David Florence uh, gets his act together, he hasn't, he hasn't shone, but I've got a feeling he's, uh, he's pretty telly about this. I think he's got a little bit in reserve. If he shines today, if he does his thing, we have got a very good chance of a British medal in Hertfordshire. Now, look, one of the, the, the things I was saying about what I, I'm enjoying about the Olympics is I don't particularly like sport, but uh, the, the last few days I've been watching quite a lot of sport and really enjoying it and seeing all kinds of things that... Uh, Who would have thought that I could sit in front of uh, water polo for an hour and thoroughly enjoy every second of it? Um, it I, were you a, a big uh, kind of canoeist and kayaker before this, or is this quite new to you? That's a very good question, actually. No, uh, is the answer. No, I wasn't. I, I mean, I would, I would probably not even sit and watch it on the television, I have to say. It's not something that, that I was interested in in any way, shape or form. But as a sports fan in general, which is obviously what I am, you, you, you adapt the way you look at things. And it doesn't take long. It doesn't mm. take long to be around a sport, meet the people involved understand a little bit and i you know what I, I genuinely think that a lot of people's dislike of sport is sometimes due to the fact they just don't get it mm. um and, they, and you know and that makes it more difficult for them to enjoy it once you kind of understand the way canoe slalom works and you've met a few people within it and what i tell you what once you see those crowds at lee valley uh, there is no way that you can't get involved in the sport and the nice thing about it is for those who talk about not necessarily being a sports fan 
the way that they do the commentary on the course, and it's very clear and very precise, and, and for, the, for the people who are into kind of slalom, they know exactly what the guy was talking about, or the team of commentators are talking about. But for those that have come, they've got tickets, they've entered the pool, they've got canoe slalom tickets, and they've thought, oh, I don't know anything about canoe slalom. It's all made so accessible for them. They'll understand what's happening all the way down the course. And I think this is a real opportunity for canoe slalom to you know, thrust itself into the limelight. Luke, thank you very much. You talk about not knowing about sport. I was, I was watching the water polo yesterday. They've got these, these, these um, like swimming caps on with these big things on their ears. My little boy said, what are the things on the ears, Daddy? And so I said, oh, it's, it's walkie-talkie so that the, you know, the team manager can give them instructions. It's not. It's to protect their ears from when people whack that ball at their head. So you how, how, how little I know about sport. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Tuesday the 31st of July. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Hemel Hempstead teenager Max Whitlock has won an Olympic bronze medal in the team gymnastics. The 19-year-old helped Team GB to a shock third place, the first team medal in the sport in 100 years. The family of a grandmother who died at the QE2 hospital in Welling Garden City after being denied food and water for a week are thought to be considered legal action. Joan Pataldi died in September 2009 after being admitted for a hip operation. In sport, Watford have confirmed seven new signings, including former Arsenal goalkeeper Manuel Almunia and QPR defender Fitzhall. The weather for beds, hearts and bucks, misty with patchy rain or drizzle, becoming drier and a little brighter later. The day's maximum temperature is 19 degrees Celsius. Next, we're going to catch up... Oh, this is exciting... With Justin Dealey, who's in Hemel Hempstead this morning, with Max Whitlock's mum. And on the JVS show from nine o'clock with the phone in today, he's asking, should abuse on the internet be taken seriously? Uh, let's go to Dina, who's got some sleep tips for me. Dina, what, what should I be doing? You should put your thumb and the first finger together and then stretch the rest of the three fingers. Can you do that? Yes, I'm doing it now, yes. Okay, right. Yeah. And then then you say how you can stretch the word. Om. Oh, Dina. <laughs> you, you want me to do the om? The om isn't going to yes. work. It does work. It works for everybody. All the people I know. The thing is, it'll keep my wife thing. awake if I'm sat next to her oming away. No. No, but you, yeah, but she will, she will get the positive energy from you. So you're doing, you will be doing her a favour. And does, it, does that work for you, Dean? Does that help you fall asleep? Oh, a hundred times it works, and all my friends who have tried. And you know, I teach English uh, to these foreign students. Sometimes they're so naughty, and I make them do om, and they all calm down, and I never have well, any problems with them. There we them. go, Dina. Dina, uh, we've got to move on because we've got going somewhere very exciting. But a tip to stop uh, youth crime is get them all to do the om. That's what we're going to do. Uh, now, this is very exciting. Matt Whitlock, of course, uh, part of Team GB uh, gymnastic team, uh, the first medal uh, in 100 years. Uh, Justin Dealey has, has managed to get himself somewhere very... Justin? Oh, you're there. Justin, can you hear me? I can hear you well. Whereabouts are you? I'm in Hemel Hempstead at the moment. Yeah. I'm on the Adyfield Road, and uh, this is without any question, the story of the Olympics so far, and I'm now with Max's mum, Madeline Whitlock. Madeline, welcome to the programme. Such an amazing day yesterday. Uh, as Max's mother, just how proud do you feel right now? Extremely. We just can't believe it. It's still sinking in. Uh, we're just so, so proud of Max and the whole team. It's just brilliant. 
Now, we've been listening to what he's been saying yesterday and laughing this morning because he seems very, very humble, <laughs> saying, I'm not going to celebrate just yet, but when I do, I'll be eating a big burger. So, have you got some sort of party plan for him? Yeah, we'll, we'll hold a big party. He just he deserves, he deserves to have everybody there just to send their best wishes and everything. Yeah, a big party. And describe the atmosphere yesterday. It must have been incredible. It was amazing. There, it was so so loud, and there were so many people there, and it was just fantastic to be there and be part of it as well. You got to see him for a few minutes after the event, about five minutes or so. It must have been very emotional for you. But what did your son say to you after getting that medal? He he couldn't believe it, and he was just so so happy. And well, it's still sinking in with him. I think it's brilliant. Now, he first got involved in gymnastics when he was just seven years old. So when did you as a family think that, that he had a major talent and he could go on to, to massive things? Uh, when he first started the gym, because he just started walking around on his hands and cartwheeling everywhere, and we thought, yeah, this is for Max. <laughs> and what's your life going to be like w when Max returns? Because he also <laughs> lives with you here in Hemel Hempstead. Um, he, he's gone to the Olympics. He's worked very, very hard for many, many years, but, but his name wasn't particularly out there. Now, of course, everybody in the world knows who your son is. He's going to come back a superstar, <laughs> and your lives are going to change forever, aren't they? I don't know. I don't know. I think Max's life will change, but we'll just support him all the way. And your phone in the last few hours. I know that you've had uh, lots of journalists on the phone to you. Uh, we are the only interview that you're giving today, which we really, really appreciate. So what's your phone been like? Have you heard from people that you've not heard from from years? What's been happening? Just so many um, well done messages. It's just amazing. And thanks, everybody, for being behind Max. It's brilliant fantastic and what's going to be happening this sunday because uh, the road for max is not over just yet you've got uh, part two what's happening on sunday um he's got into the pommel final which again is going to be um amazing um fingers crossed that um he gets a, a good result but just being part of that final is fantastic and we're so proud of him and let's talk about what you're doing right now because the morning after the night before you are straight back to work you've got lots of screaming children here <laughs> tell our listeners what you do um i've got a children's day nursery so it's back to work as normal and um it's lovely because all the parents are coming in and uh, congratulating max and the children are bringing some pictures in as well which is fantastic everyone's coming in with, with just big <laughs> smiles on their faces and of course you've got the big banner here as well so we all know where you are don't we <laughs> Yeah, we can't hide now. <laughs> it has been an incredible journey for you. Just lastly, obviously we know Sunday's next, but off the back of this, uh, what is next for your son off the back of London 2012? Oh, I don't... More hard work? Yeah, I mean, Max will still carry on being focused and training and just see what's next, really. See what happens. And I want an invite for that party, OK? <laughs> Okay, it's a done can. deal. Okay, see you there. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate okay. it. There you go. Joining us live on The Breakfast Show, Madeline Whitlock, uh, uh, Max's mother, the only interview she's giving today, and it is the story of the Olympics so far, and of course, part two for Max on Sunday. You. Oh, it's exciting. A proud mum. It's fantastic. Justin, when I, um, and I'm going to blow my own trumpet mm. here, when I, won, do, yeah? when I won Mastermind, yeah, 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 I gave the trophy to my mum. Do you, do you reckon Madeline's going to get Max's medal? Well, should, should we put that question so, to her? Go on, ask her. Go on. Uh, the medal. Um, do you reckon you might get that? If so, where's it going to go? Don't say the toilet. Oh.
Oh, I don't know. I have seen it. It's it's super. It's amazing. But I don't know. I'm sure Max will be going around showing a few people first mm. before I can get hold of it. <laughs> if he keeps it, if you have it, look after it, whatever you do. Fantastic. Ian, I want to see that that you've got. I want to see that medal, that that prize. Yeah, well, it was it's a it's a trophy. I'll go I'll go and get it from my mum. I'll yeah. bring it in. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll show love you. to see it that. Was, yeah, yeah. Congratulations. I, I presume it was the monkeys. Your uh... it was. Yes, <laughs> it was my <laughs> subject. subject yeah. I've also won um, the weakest link. Uh, ready, steady, cook. I came last on come down with me. Right. <laughs> Thank you, Justin. Ta ta. If I won a, if I won an Olympic medal, seriously, I'd be done. I'd be Saturday night. I'd be wearing it. I'd be out going. Yeah, yeah. Won an Olympic medal. <sighs> Excellent stuff, Justin. There's an exclusive there on BBC Three Counties. Well done. With less than a month until the Paralympics begin, the charity Scope says attitudes towards disabled people have gotten worse in the last year. Its research said disabled people feel the media's portrayal of benefit cheats is increasing public hostility towards them. We can talk now to Richard Hawkes, Chief Executive for the UK disability charity Scope. Good morning, Richard. Morning. Does this research surprise you? It did surprise us. We found it quite shocking, to be honest, mm. that that with a month to go to the Paralympics in Britain in 2012, that almost half of disabled people are reporting that they feel that attitudes towards them have got worse in the last year. Uh, Two-thirds of disabled people are saying they've actually experienced hostility or name-calling or aggressive comments from, from strangers in the in the streets. And, you know, we think this is... It, 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 it is shocking. Richard, shocking. hang on a minute. People are, are going up to disabled people in the street and just abusing them. Yeah, I, I was chatting earlier today to a guy called Chris, who's a, a blind man, and he was saying how uh, last week uh two people came up to him in the street and said let's see if he's really blind what? let's pull a knife on him and see if he reacts You're th- i'm I, speechless at that this is happening and this is because oh. and what and what disabled people are telling us over and over again is that the the narrative that is out there about benefits cheats and about scroungers um has an impact on people in this way so that then other people start questioning are they really disabled are they cheating the system are they benefits cheats is that is that what's doing it it's it's, it's this kind of clamping down on benefits scroungers that, that people think that are changing people's attitudes but i think it's way. the narrative out there of course of course we should be stopping people fr- claiming fraudulently mm. but what the government doesn't do is put the the full picture out there so we very hardly we very rarely see a, a press release from the government that says, did you know that only 0.5% of people claiming disability living allowance have done so fraudulently? Less than 2% of people claiming benefits overall have ever done so fraudulently. So the, the numbers are so low, there's actually more money unclaimed than there is defrauded. And yet we don't hear that. What we hear is in, in, innuendo and suggestion mm. that there are too many people claiming or how long have they been claiming for. The government ought to have some tests in place that are not flawed like the ones they have at the moment. They should be testing whether or not disabled people uh, what kind of benefits people should be getting and what kind of support people need to be able to get work and, and so on. They need to change those tests and then tell the, the, the full story. Richard, we've got about 45 seconds. I could talk to you about this for much longer. What, what, can, what can, we, can be done to change people's attitudes? Well, the, pa- the Paralympics presents a great opportunity for us yeah. in this country to think differently about disability. There will be some, some amazing disabled athletes but there'll also be disabled volunteers, disabled presenters, and we'll all have an opportunity to think about the lives that ordinary disabled people live, how they get around on their transport system, how they, how disabled people uh, will get to the venues and so on. And that opportunity to think differently about disability will hopefully lead to a, a, a more positive change in people's attitudes overall. Richard, you've shocked me this morning.
morning, if I'm honest. You've really shocked me. Thank you so much for coming on and telling us about that. Thank you. Richard Hawkes there, Chief Executive for the UK Disability Charity Scope. Isn't that incredible? There's a blind lady who, I, I don't live there anymore. When I used to live in a flat, I used to see this, this old blind lady would walk up and down the, the, the street every day. She'd walk, I guess, about a mile, a mile and a half to the shops, and then she'd walk back. And I would see her all the time. I still see her about near where I live now. And I just found it the most incredible thing, completely blind, and she would do this journey on her own every day. And I once saw her, she got confused because there was a noisy truck and the bit of the pavement was blocked and she kind of got stuck in this little sort of car park area. And I was watching, I, I was just, I'm, I'm a nosy man, I look out the window and I saw her. And I, I rushed down and, and sort of said, oh, do you need a hand? She goes, oh, yes, please. And got her back on track. And I just think, how, how could anyone do that? Go up to a blind person, say, let's pull a knife, see if they're really blind. I find that just incredible. Well, sorry to end on such a downer there. It's, um, it's shocked me, to say the least. Let's end on a slightly more positive note. Emma's uh, emailed in. The one part of the games I was looking forward to was the gymnastics. Haven't they done us proud? There you go. Thank you very much for listening. I'm back tomorrow at six o'clock. Do stick around for Jonathan Vernon-Smith. It's going to be a good listen. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio.